out from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Sports Animals on the Bobby Curran Show today on ESPN Honolulu. On the show today, Rich Miano joins us a little later on. We're going to talk some more UH football after the Mountain West Conf- uh, football media days. Sabo uh, makes his return to the airwaves in the 8 o'clock hour, so tell all your friends and gather around the radio about 8.20. And we'll talk to Miami Dolphins football next hour as well. Speaking of football. With Sabo? Well, we, we can do that as well, yeah. Uh, we'll have Travis Wingfield from the Drive Time podcast about the Miami Dolphins. Get a couple of Tua questions in there. We were talking a lot about the media polls we were on in the afternoon the last two days and everything going on in Las Vegas for the Mountain West. And I know some people might have been a little surprised, maybe bothered that Hawaii was picked last. And I think you and I both downplayed it. That it, You know, it's, it's realistic mm-hmm. to think that now, but it doesn't really mean that much in the long run because it's a pretty I don't think any – if I, if I can jump in here, I don't think anybody, anybody I talked to or looked at social media, nobody was surprised or upset that Hawaii's ranked sixth. We all kind of understand the idea that Hawaii has six returning starters. I thought it was only five, but some say six. They got a brand new coaching staff. We don't have an established quarterback. Of course, we're going to be picked sixth. I don't I think anyone's going. Hey, what's crazy? We're we're we're, we're, we're better than that. I saw some comments saying we're, we're supposed to be worse than UNLV, or I thought we'd be better than that. We should be competitive. Some comments like that. No, but that's already... what we said on the radio. That's what you and I said on the radio. But others did. No, I'm saying some of the comments I read. But my point is that yeah. to show what it, that okay. it's a preseason poll doesn't really mean a lot because our first opponent coming up uh, 36 days from now ah. and uh, against Vanderbilt on the 27th, they are favored. We know that SEC team that was winless, winless last year, and they had their media days going on. And one of the interesting things that came out of that is that somebody in the media picked Vanderbilt to finish in first place, first place in their division. Now, they're on Georgia's side, so they didn't have a head of Alabama. And people that I was just reading about <laughs> earlier today are actually trying to figure out which media member that is. Now, when you add up all the votes – they were still picked to finish seventh in a seven-team division. But somebody gave them a first-place vote. It just shows, and, you know, just re- not to reiterate, but to talk about how these polls and are not that important and how some people vote for whatever reasons and pick things like that. How could anybody in their right mind do that? I mean, that's just crazy. Although their coach, Clark Leia, uh, former Notre Dame defensive coordinator, he said they plan on being the best team in the country, which is, I think, a okay thing to say, but I think it almost puts more of a target on your back if that's possible for a team that hasn't won an SEC game in almost two years. But to pick them first, that that's just more evidence on don't pay too much attention to these polls. That might be one of the more crazier ones I've ever seen. 
to really think that somebody's thinking that. And I don't know what their reasoning is. I'd love to find out what their comments are. Every now and then, I know you you commented as well about some of the play uh, media members in the Baseball Hall of Fame, when they vote on people, they have an agenda. And, you know, they, they're not going to vote for somebody because he was a bad personality, a bad interview. We've heard that over the years. Uh, that's a little different than this, but it shows that when people are voting, they're not voting necessarily with what they really think is about to happen or predicting what's going to happen with a team, but they're just going with an agenda, again, or personal feelings come into play. And I think that's just ridiculous. Uh, again, I know we have fun with these polls, and not everybody takes them seriously, but I think some people do. And to see Vanderbilt pick there is crazy. Again, a team that was that bad last year. I mean, we keep hearing SEC, SEC, so we know they've got to have talent. And they probably do. But they have been really bad. I think they've only been to like one bowl game in the last decade. And that's when James Franklin was there before he took over at Penn State. But lately, they've been the Vanderbilt that we remember. I'm not going to say that Hawaii's going to beat them. I, I don't want to go that far because there's a lot of questions on our team. But to think Vanderbilt got a first-place vote, I just couldn't believe that today. That was like one of the biggest surprises I've taken from 12 hours ago when we went off the air to now as far as seeing what's going on in the sports world. Why, why would anybody do that? I, I think some of those, not some, all of those votes, in my opinion, they should be made public. And I know some of the leagues were, I think, in Major League Baseball or the NBA Hall of Fame, they've made the voting a little bit more public, uh, transparent, so people will know who's voting for who. Uh, I mean, sometimes you get a guy like Derek Jeter who's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame um, next week or two, and somebody didn't give him, like, a first-place vote. There was somebody from Boston who didn't vote him for the Hall of Fame. That's a personal agenda. That's it's just stupid. It's just wrong. I think you should, in a way, lose your right to vote. To pick Vanderbilt first, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm not sure what would have been more outrageous. I mean, Stephen Sy was on with us yesterday afternoon, and he said he picked Hawaii third or fourth, and he said he's a homer. If you pick Hawaii fourth, is that being – I don't think it's comparable to picking Vanderbilt first. If you pick Hawaii first, that could have been comparable to that for this year at least. But to pick them fourth, maybe third might have been a little bit of a stretch. But to pick a team first, not, now you got all these people tweeting about it and talking about it. I'm sure it will gain a little bit more steam. And I think a lot of people in the SEC are laughing about it. I mean, it's, it's kind of embarrassing for Vanderbilt. If I'm Vanderbilt, I'd rather not have that vote. Because it, it just leads to more questions and people just realizing how bad they are and how ridiculous that is. But that's what goes on in the summer for these media polls. Coaches are definitely a lot smarter than that. But that really stood out when I saw that earlier today. Do you think people really care that much, though, since it's a preseason? It's a media guy, some media guy who covers Vanderbilt, put him number one. I don't know. We just spent six minutes on Vanderbilt getting a first-place vote. <laughs> I'm just wondering... If that's – if – who I mean, who cares? I think people do. Who no, cares? not for that Vanderbilt why? this much. Why? But why? Because why would they care that some guy went, hey, I think we're number one, <laughs> and wrote it down? It totally blows the preseason poll credibility. Well, well, it does. The preseason poll doesn't have any credibility because it's a preseason poll based on who you have coming back. That's all it is. I think they ha I think it has some credibility. I don't think it has anything to do with being accurate because there are too many unknowns, but it's what people th – I mean, I think the coaches' poll is more accurate, but then we've heard over the years, and I think Rich Miano told us this years and years ago, that it wasn't always June Jones voting in the poll. It was some other people like the SID or assistant well, coaches that, that's, voting. Well, that's different. That's your top 25 poll. That's your national poll. 
That's the that's the USA True. Today poll he's talking about, not your M- Mountain West or your SEC Media Days poll. Totally different thing there. I, I, when I worked at sports bars, I remember there were people would come in and talk about the magazine polls or some like Athlon or Lindy's or Phil Steele's and even some of the media or coaches polls. I, I agree. It shouldn't mean anything. And that's what I used to tell them then. It's just a preseason. But I know people And it that, doesn't. It shouldn't. And it doesn't. But to some people it does. If Hawaii was, if Hawaii was picked number one, we'd be like, yeah, Hawaii's number one. But we would also preface it with, it really doesn't mean anything. We know that. There are people that put a lot. I don't want to say put a lot, but they believe in those things. And they, Who and are they, these people? I'm telling you. Who I just, are when these I, people? When I, when I worked at sports bars, that happened Drugs every year. Drugs at a bar would come in and talk. Of, it's conversation. That's all it yeah. is. I know. That's all well, this is. That's all, that's, that's all any of this stuff is. It's just, hey, quick conversation. <laughs> Yes, but I think some people do believe it. But besides that part, I just think, again, the Vanderbilt thing is ridiculous. And I wish every poll was transparent. I mean, if if you are allowed to vote in a preseason poll, in a Hall of Fame ballot, uh, anything along those lines, all-star ballots where, you know, in the NBA, the the, the players and coaches get to vote, you know, I think one-third of who gets in and stuff like that, I think they all should be made public. Why not? Why, Why are they private? Why should that be hidden from the fans I, I never really got that and i'm glad some places now do unveil that publicly but i think they all should be uh, and i think if you're a coach voting and you went to the top 25 poll it should be the head coach voting to hear that other people have voted for that that takes some credibility away from it right there as well so just my two cents worth on that all right <laughs> Start the show with somebody voted Vanderbilt a first place vote. Woo! This is hard hitting takes you're going to get on this Aloha Friday. I got and more. People are upset about it. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Okay, well that that's all I have on the poll. I the other thing. Thank I, we, you. Okay. <laughs> we talked, I think, very briefly uh, yesterday afternoon about the Charles Barkley Live Tour connection and if it might happen. I was reading uh, further on this. And when I saw that he makes eight figures, I wasn't sure if that was for one year or the length of his contract. As it turns out, Charles Barkley has three years and $30 million left on his TNT contract, $10 million a year. Uh, now, it's not Tony Romo money, but for an analyst who's not doing game games weekly, I think that's a lot of money. He mentioned – he did an interview with the New York Post, and he talked about what – and it's Greg Norman, by the way, who's going to offer him a contract or not. It's He's in charge. They had lunch in Atlanta a couple of days ago. Barkley said, it's going to have to be a really big haul for me to do this because I know my sponsors, and you mentioned this yesterday, some of the sponsors are concerned about that. Uh, MasterCard, Dick Sporting Goods, and I know there's one other one in there, Capital Capital One. One. Uh, They're concerned about it. So let's just say the Live Tour offers Charles Barkley $25 million a year to do Live matches. Now, there's only eight a year right now, eight matches, eight tournaments a year. I don't well, know if there's like 14 next year. Oh, okay, they already announced 14 for next year. Okay, so yeah. let's say 14 for next year. Still pretty good money. It's shorter than an NFL season. But if they give – the way he made it sound, they're going to have to give him a lot more than he makes at TNT to do that. If they do that, we've talked how often, Chris, in the last few weeks about golfers every week joining the Live Tour. Some of them are surprises, and the list keeps getting bigger and bigger. Pretty much every week or two, there's another three golfers or more joining. I wonder what that would do to analysts 
who, if they see that money out there, I don't know what the top golf analyst makes right now on television for the, you know, Jim Nance's play-by-play uh, play more. But if you can get 25, or if Charles Barkley's going to get $25 million, wouldn't you think, as an example, that Jim Nance would get even more than that to go to the Live Tour? I wonder if they're going to be able to draw more TV personalities and golf analysts because of the money involved. <laughs> like David Faraday? What? Yeah, but I know you, you kind of played that down the other day. From what I've been reading, he's a pretty how significant do, name. How often do you see David Faherty Fair, on television? I don't pay attention to You who's... never do. Well, I rarely yeah. do, and I watch a lot of golf. Really? He had his okay. own television show that got canceled on the Golf Channel. Yeah, he's been a little controversial, I've read. Well, I don't know if that's why it got canceled or if it just got canceled because it wasn't the, the, the greatest show. I, I don't know. Maybe... Maybe I'm downplaying David Faherty. Can't say his name. Maybe I don't know, but I mean he's not a he's not a mainstay on the golf channel. He's not a mainstay. Mark Rolfing has more TV time than 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 David Faherty. Hasn't he done network TV? You thought I thought what? He, he's worked for NBC. I read that the other day. I, right, but I'm not, I don't know. I never see him, and I watch a lot of golf. I watch as much golf as you watch basketball. I don't know. I haven't seen him on TV in a long time. I'm not saying. I mean, and that's great for him that he's going to go over. Is is it for sure that he's going over? Are those still rumors? I can't remember. I believe the wording no, was it says he's he expected. Is, yeah, he's leaving NBC and he's expected to join the Live Tour. Right. I don't know. These it's remember these these are television broadcasters, and they're going to a, their tour that's not on television. They don't have a TV deal. They're on YouTube. And, you know, it doesn't look like, because you can see how many views and you can see how many people are watching while you're watching it. And they're, oh gosh, what was it, 50,000 people watching or something when I was when I was tuning in at one time? I mean, I don't know. It depends what you want out of your career. I mean, with maybe David Faraday wants to be on, wants more screen time maybe. Who knows? Or more money. Charles Barkley is just a money grab. Well, yeah, but Charles Barkley is just, he's just going for money. And he's saying, hey, you know what? You guys can be outraged all you want, but I think it's selective outrage. That's what people are, right. are doing. But, you know. But but I, I, I just, I wonder, is it going to get more? I mean, we, we talked about the golfer, but I just wonder if even more media personalities might do that. I, I mean, if, if it's that much more money. How many, how many media members can cover a golf tournament? Well, you're going to have maybe some guys not doing every week. Let's say Barkley somehow is allowed to do NBA coverage. And he does, he can't make every tournament, all 14 of them next year. Just like the golfers aren't going to – they're not all participating every week because there's 48 every tournament and there's more, way more than 48, probably close to 60 now on the Live Tour roster. So I, I just – I wondered about that. If that, the money is out there. I mean, I think everybody's going for the money and everything else the Live Tour offers. And that list has grown. Uh, for Barkley, again, I, to me, I think that would be a loss if he lo- if he leaves the NBA, uh, inside the NBA on TNT. He's the only reason I've either watched – well, he's the main reason I've watched it and or taped it. Uh, it's not so much for Shaq or Kenny Smith or anything else. It's Barkley. I want to know what he's going to say next. It, he almost reminds me of Howard Stern in a way from the movie. People don't like him, but they want to see what he's going to say next. They want to hear it. For Barkley, not that he's as controversial in the way he is, 
but he, he, he makes that show. You can get anybody else in there. And I know somebody tweeted yesterday he's, he is replaceable. I don't think he is. That show, I think, would lose ratings whenever Barkley leaves. And he said he's going to leave at some point, but he keeps staying at $10 million a year for something like that. I don't blame him for staying. But if he leaves, I think it will be a significant loss for that show at least. All right. I, somebody texted in Rolfing. Did I say I, – I, in my mind, I said Mark Rolfing. I guess – did I not say Mark Rolfing? You did. Oh, okay, somebody I heard you said Rolfing. All right. Uh, maybe they're just All wondering right. if anyway. he would maybe go over if there's money. I'm not sure if that's what the text meant. Well, Mark Rolfing would go – I don't know. You know, a lot of those guys <laughs> – it's funny because the people on the Golf Channel, I mean, they have a, they have a, they have a partnership with the PGA Tour. So there's never been anything positive – about the live tour from anybody at the Golf Channel. So I don't know that. But then again, you know, we thought that about Brooks Kepka too. It's a, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Charles Barkley, he wants to do both. I think that's what he's trying to do. I don't think he's going to leave. Uh, the, what's the NBA show called? Inside NBA, the NBA. Inside the NBA. I don't think he'll leave that to join the live tour. I think he's just trying to do both. That's all. But if the sponsors on TNT, not so much it's commercials he's in, but if the sponsors on that show aren't happy with him, oh, being it's on. both. Well, it's Capital One. It's it's his endorsements, like you said, and like we said yesterday. It's those people are, are getting a little nervous, and then the sponsors of TNT are going to back off. So, you know, he can't do both. You not, know, not, he's trying yeah. to have his cake and eat it too. You know, the guy loves the game of golf. He loves being around golf, but he's going to have to make a decision. Now, if he does go to the Live Tour, it's not like we're never going to see him again on television. Um, he's, you know, he'll still make appearances here and there. I'm sure he'll go to different places and have to defend himself and all of that. So we would see. I think we'd still see a lot, or maybe even more, of Charles Barkley, not just on a TNT after a game show. The interview that I read, he said that Greg Norman told him that a TV deal is expected. And Barkley's quote is, I oh, think sure. he, he thinks they're going to get a TV deal. I'm pretty sure they're going to get a TV deal also. Somebody's going to step forward at some point. Right. With 110 channels on television, somebody is going to take the Saudi money and air their, their deal. Now, is it going to be, is it going to be, it might be TNT. Who knows? I don't know. But is it going to be, probably not TNT, actually. But is it going to be, it's not going to be NBC, ABC, or CBS, probably, or one of their channels, like USA Network or, you know, some of these other ones. It might be a, a, a channel like, oh, I don't know, uh, you know, the Freeform channel or, you know, one of those up the dial. But I'm sure they will get a, 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 a TV deal. Barkley yeah. said he consulted with Michael Wilbon, Mark Cuban, and Ahmad Rashad about this. I thought the Cuban oh. thing was interesting. Just from a business perspective, not because he's an, obviously an announcer or anything on the media part, but I thought that was kind of interesting to see Mark Cuban was involved. Uh, I wouldn't say involved. If he called him up, hey, I want to go do this, what do you think? Well, consulted, at least consulted with. Mm, consulted, yeah. All right, 19 minutes after the hour here on ESPN Honolulu. Let's get back to the Mountain West Conference media days and the preseason all-conference team, which is very important, coming up next. Listen to your favorite ESPN Honolulu shows on the free Sideline Hawaii app. Last night I dreamt I was returning. And my heart called out to 
Yesterday, the 2022 Mountain West football preseason all-conference team was announced. Nobody from Hawaii made it, and that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. Stay in there and fight, fight, fight. Uh, we do have a – I'm going to use all the uh, – this is this, basically everything I'm about to say is what Tanner told me during the break. So there is a Hawaii connection, Gary. Alama Uluave, the senior center from San Diego State, made it to the, uh, you know, the all-Mountain West team. Former Punahou player, I hear? Yeah, that's what I just said. Okay, well, that's the, that, that connection as well. Uh, I was a little surprised, but in a way not surprised. Everybody we lost, it's understandable. And, again, it's just a preseason. It seems on defense there's a lot of sands in there. San Diego, San Jose, uh, they seem to be on special teams. They're all over the place and a few on offense you know, as well. There's 12 players on offense, defense, and special teams, 12 players from San Diego State and Fresno State. So that tells you kind of who the powers are going to be. You know, you look at names on like this, and I'm, I'm so glad that these guys are almost gone. Viliami Fehoko, guy is a beast. Cade Hall, all both guys from San Jose State, two defensive linemen. Man, I can't wait till they leave. Jonah Tavai, the brother of Justice Tavai, and Jelani. what was the other guy? Jelani. Jelani Tavai is on this team for San Diego State. So I, maybe that's why I didn't know there was another brother out there. But I guess that's why Justice Tavai went over to San Diego State, right? Right, right, yeah. But, yeah, when the, when, when uh, Fehoko and Hall are gone, I think we'll be much happier. Of course, Jake Hayner is the Fresno State uh, uh, Fresno State's quarterback. I mean, coming off a seven, 70% completion, what was it? What did I say the other day? 36 touchdowns, nine interceptions, something like that. Yes, yeah, right. Either that was him or Carson Strong's numbers. But they were very, very, very close. You know what's interesting is the running backs on here, Brad Roberts and Jordan Mims. Roberts of Air Force and Mims of Fresno State. I don't remember Mims from Fresno State. I remember the other guy. Ronnie Rivers? Ronnie Rivers. Or was, unless that was two years ago. But I don't remember this Mims guy. But, I mean, what about Toa Tawa? Man, right, that's what piece. I was thinking. George Holani from uh, Boise State. They're not on the first team. It's these two guys. And other thing I notice when I look at both teams, offense and defense, I mean, it, is it all seniors except for a, a redshirt freshman at tight end? Uh, I thought no. there might be a few more underclassmen on, on defense and offense. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, on special teams, the the kicker and the There's puncher are yeah. juniors. But yeah, it's all seniors. But the uh, that's what and that's what's amazing is this guy, this freshman from Colorado State, is on the Mountain West preseason All Conference team. And it has something. Tanner, can you jump on and try and explain what you kind of explained to us? The guy's name is Tanner Arkin. And from what I'm gathering, he's never played a down. So I will say I don't know much about Tanner Arkin. But don't with, know much about Tanner but, Arkin. But with the whole tight end situation in the Mountain West, there were no other tight ends nominated by their schools to be selected by the media for this team. And the, the way it got out was, I believe it was a Colorado State uh, media voter had explained there was one position that only had one player uh, nominated, and he said it would greatly benefit Colorado State. And seeing as Tanner Arkin is the lone representative for the Rams, we could only presume that tight end is the position where mm. one player out of every 
Mountain West School was nominated. See, that doesn't make that's that's weird. Shouldn't it just be the media just voting on their favorite guys, the guys they think are best? Why do they need to be nominated by a team? That doesn't make sense to me. I agree. I don't understand that process either. I, there was a whole situation with Hank Bachmeyer not being mm-hmm. one of the names being able to be voted on. And mm-hmm. Boise State, he wasn't nominated by his own team. Right. So Boise State explained, "Oh, we only nominate, uh, we only nominate players that get off-season recognition." And it's like, <laughs> but Hank Bachmeyer is one of the top quarterbacks in the conference. What right. for the last three years, and so to have that reason to being why he doesn't get nominated because oh, he was hurt last year. That's oh, that, this is, that, this is it makes stupid. sense why Boise State's not really considered, you know, the right. most academically high school of this conference. <laughs> By the way, your Tanner Arkin, he did play in four games last year for Colorado That's State. Right. had one catch for nine yards. Woo! There's you got it. That's more that than me. <laughs> <laughs> what does that what does that say about about uh, the <laughs> tight ends in the Mountain West Conference? That's silly. That's as that's as incredible right there. And I'm sorry that I spent time on it now because that's about as incredible as Vanderbilt being selected number one by the media. Oh, you have to, you can't vote on somebody unless they're nominated. That's dumb. All right. Rich Miano talks some, uh, he's a Spectrum Sports, of course. And uh, maybe he'll comment on the New York Jets, his former team, on them wearing black helmets uh, upcoming this year. Anyway, Rich Miano joins us next on ESPN. Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Oh, right now, though, I want to get out our Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union Bulletin Board, and it's brought to you by Hawaii USA. Let's see. Here we go. Here's uh, important uh, information. The Department of Health wants to reduce falls and fall-related injuries amongst our kapuna. Three easy steps. Review your medications and get an eye exam annually. Get a personal electronic safety device. At home, remove fall hazards and improve lighting. And exercise daily to improve balance and flexibility. Those are actually four steps. This message is brought to you by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union and ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company. Supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast. If somebody can nudge Rich Miano and wake him up, Rich Miano is scheduled to be on the show. All right, we'll move on. I was just talking off the air. They had the, uh, on TV, they had the super debates last night. And uh, it, it was interesting watching Kai, oh boy, the Democrats running for governor. Man, they were at each other. It was, everyone was attacking Josh Green. And I guess that's the strategy, right? So Josh Green, I believe, is leading in the polls. 
So Kai Kahele and um, Vicky Cayetano, that's a political strategy, right? You want to yeah. try and discredit the guy in the lead, bring him down to boost yourselves back up. I mean, it's obvious, but, man, Kai Kahele, he was – Vicky Cayetano was good, I thought. Um, you know, she's um, held her own. She um, mostly took the high road and stuff. The um, <laughs> poor Josh Green. Every time he's trying to answer something, Kai Kahele's like interrupting him, and like, and, and <laughs> Josh Green is looking for help from the moderator. What's her name? I can't remember her name. Anyway, he's looking for help from the moderator, and he's all, "Can you? I'm trying to finish." And then, and then Kai Kahele's just talking all over him. And then, I mean, Kai Kahele. I mean, he was a UH volleyball player. What is he about six three at least, or something at like least, that? And Josh yeah, Green's not a very three. tall guy. You know, so, I mean, he's just talking over him, and he keeps, at, you know. And then Josh Green's all, let me finish, let me finish. And then and then um, you can't hear anything Josh Green's saying because Kai Kahele is interrupting him constantly. And so then it was like, okay, time's up. And Josh Green's all, well, what? I'm trying to, you're asking me a question. I'm trying to answer it. Yet this guy's talking. He even asks, he goes, can you make, can you turn off his, can you make him be quiet? Can you make him stop interrupting? At that point, it was a, I don't think it was a great, television presentation because they should have cut his mic should be a mute button like around the horn right but i mean yeah right but i mean it should be something like that because the poor guy couldn't get out of what the slots are and then it was too late and then it was like <laughs> before and then and then um kai kahele calls josh green a liar he goes you're, you're a liar and he's like you, you can't you can't do that he called me a liar <laughs> <laughs> not in the rules <laughs> make him retract that oh, oh man they, but I mean, I don't know. It's Kahele <laughs> just—he seemed like a big bully. Is what he wow. seemed like. Poor Josh Green. Not that I'm, you know, a Josh Green guy, or this is not a political show, and we're not swaying either way on the air. But just as a hey, BJ Penn, you know what? He held his own in the best he could. BJ Penn held his own, especially when he's next to somebody as uh, seasoned as Duke Iona in his debate. BJ Penn. You know what? I'm I'm rooting for the guy. I'm rooting for the guy. Interesting. I mean, it's 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 a different guy you saw in there, and he tried to explain about being in trouble with the law and all that kind of stuff. It was very good. Hunter, uh, Hunter, Hunter, Hunter Hughes is here. Uh, Tanner, I didn't get what you were saying in our. Oh, Rich Miano's on now uh, on ESPN Honolulu. Hi, Rich. Good morning, guys. Rich, thank you for joining us to talk about UH football. When you look at this season where camp doesn't start till next Wednesday, we're a little over five weeks away from the first game, what do you think of the realistic goals for Hawaii football this upcoming season? Well, I think realistically uh, they have to be, you know, have to try to be competitive. They have to try to be fundamentally sound. They have to believe in the coaches. The coaches have to believe in them. I mean, all of the things you need to be to be a good football program, they're going to need because I think when it comes to talent, there was a huge dissipation uh, by the loss of those 19 guys that were all really formidable. I think if those guys came back and Timmy Chang and the staff were to coach them, they'd be favored to win the Mountain West Conference uh, a title. So, um, I, I think we all need to have some patience with this program, and, and, and it's not their fault that these players have left. As far as the 
off season, it seems like the culture has really shifted from where we were in January to where we are right now. Uh, everybody's kind of excited, to say the least. Players coming back from the mainland. Recruiting looks like it went pretty well. What have you noticed about the culture? Alumni getting involved. I know you guys had the big outing last week as well. What have you noticed about the culture change? Yeah, and, and I think Chevin Cadero's uh, interview yesterday was pretty telling how toxic the culture actually was and how positive it is now because he's obviously friends with so many of the players. And when you talk to uh, the players on the team, now you can see the smile on their faces. You can see that happiness has come back to Manoa. And I, I think that this staff has done a really nice job. Timmy's done a good job of raising money and kissing babies and shaking hands and uh, being as many places as he can. I think the staff is really involved with uh, everything from you know, brotherhood to sisterhood to anything to try to uh, engage this community, which needs to be engaged. And, and, and that's something I'm very concerned with. I'm sure there's going to be 9,000 fans the first few games, but if they don't play well, you know, will those fans uh, continue to support this program? Because to me, again, it goes back to the last staff, why uh, there's, there's probably some uh, trepidation or there's, there's probably some uh, concern. But um, I, I think that uh, this staff is going to do a good job over time. What do you think will be Timmy Chang's biggest challenge, whether it's before the season or game weeks, game days, and things like that? What's the biggest challenge for a first-time head coach? Well, I, I think there'll be challenges with Timmy, and, and, but I do think his coordinators are capable of coaching. He has to focus more on uh, the raising money, the, the culture, the, um, you know, the community, whereas I think the biggest concern on the field is who is that quarterback and, and when will they decide on – the starter because I think the reps, the amount of reps you have from now until that first game are so important that you get those reps to one person or the majority to one person. So the biggest on the field concern is who is the quarterback. The biggest off the field concern will be them to make sure he continues to engage this community and this community continues to rally behind uh, the local boy and, and understands the importance of you know, filling up that stadium and buying season tickets and uh, uh, pay-per-view buys and, and corporate support and continuing to feed these kids and building facilities and engaging the legislature to, you know, finally to get the stadium rolling. There are so many concerns that he has to continue to be at the forefront of. Rich Miano joining us here on ESPN Honolulu talking Hawaii football. You know, we had Leonard Peters on our show yesterday afternoon, and we were talking about playing on campus, and he said he wished they could have played on campus when he played. Now, with the size of the stadium, it's not like some other on-campus stadium, but it, with recruiting, do you think – I know other coaches are going to use that as negative recruiting in the Mountain West, but do you think that's something that recruits would maybe feel better about, at least that it's on campus with the student support, than it might have been at Aloha Stadium, even though the numbers will be a lot less? Well, I, you know, we can continue to go around and say that the stadium should be at the Alawai. It should be on the west side. I mean, I think that entertainment district is a perfect uh, situation for a stadium to be built. It's just a matter of when will the stadium be built. Therefore, you know, you're going to throw bad money after bad money and build this stadium up to a 15,000-seat stadium. Obviously, the answer 
uh, imminently is no. So, but to have a stadium of 9,000, to have it full, to have students there, to have the entertainment and all those other things, I, I think, you know, this recruiting cycle has to live with what they have. But at the same time, I don't think you'll ever see a 35,000-seat stadium in Manoa. Therefore, we have to build something big enough to be a Division One program. I, I really think the problem right now is when you have this uh, – leaving of the Pac-12 if Washington and Oregon and all these other teams continue to leave throughout the next year or so, then who goes to the Pac-12 from the Mountain West? And what becomes of the Mountain West based upon the size of that conference and their new members and then the television contract? And then, you know, when you start talking about finances, it starts to get a little scary when there is a, a subpar television contract when the fans of Hawaii realize that you're not even part of a potentially part of a conference uh, such as the Mountain West and it becomes a one double-A program, Hawaii and the state, which is very complicit in the downfall of this program, has to really start rowing in the same dire- direction to make sure that it remains a Division One program. It remains to have a healthy schedule. It remains to recruit you know these local kids that are signing up and i think nate alawa and this staff is doing a good job of recognizing and offering these kids early we have to keep recruits home we have to get great recruits from the mainland and we have to maintain our division one status when you look at the defense and the losses whether it's Corey bethley darius muasau jonah laulu what are your main concerns when you look at what's coming back and what's com- what's in here as far as new players for this upcoming year John Tui Pateau, as well as uh, Les Mataala, give them an inside presence. I'm not so sure who's going to be that edge rusher. I I like Isaiah Tufunga and uh, Pene uh, uh, at at the linebacker position. I think they'll be strong in the middle. Again, uh, who are their outside backers? And um, then you look at the complete secondary, the loss of Cortez Davis, Cameron Lockridge, Corey Bethley. That's sits on the shoulders of a very good defensive back coach who's now back at his normal position, Abraham Elamimium. So I'm concerned a little bit about the secondary, although I think they do have some athletes to compete. But it is kind of disconcerting the fact that you lost Jonah Laulu, you lost Tavai, you lost Corey Bethley, and you lost Darius Moussa. Those are four, I think, all-conference type of players and uh Again, I, I like the coaching staff. I like Chris Brown. I, I like Jacob Yor at the defensive coordinator position. I like Abraham back at the defensive back position. And uh, getting to know a little bit of uh, the D-line coach, who I think is a good pickup as well. So, But they got their work cut out. They've got people coming on campus. I think there's more talent than some people give them credit. But there's a long way to go in terms of competing consistently. And the depth is the biggest concern. Yeah. You know, the, I think that, um, you know, uh, Coach Timmy got a little bit of a late start. But do you think this, the whole brotherhood culture, and maybe this is a stupid question, but do you think it will keep some local players home? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think that along with the players being happy and, 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 and uh, respecting these coaches and believing these coaches and not being belittled and uh, being positive, mm-hmm. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's going to take some winning. But I do think there will be more players. I, I think you already see that. I think you, there's already a commitment 
to, to local recruiting. I think the local high school coaches will enjoy this staff and, and the appreciation and the respect will be mutual. And I think you will see better players stay home in, in the future. And I, and I think they'll do a good job on the mainland as well. It's just that how do we get through this season with a tough schedule and, and a lack of talent? And it's not these guys' fault. And I think that fans really need to be patient and just yeah. expect – fundamentally sound football, uh, well-coached kids. And uh, I, I think if that happens and they win somewhere around five, six, seven games, I think it's a win. Right on. And finally, uh, the New York Jets, your New York <laughs> Jets, are coming out with uh, black helmets that they'll wear a few times this year. Your thoughts? I'm more interested in who the quarterback is dating, whether it is actually his mother's best friend, or um, <laughs> whether he gets back with his ex-girlfriend. I'm on page six of the New York Post. Gary and I don't really read the sports page. We read page six first. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. All right. Hey, Rich, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have thanks. a great weekend. Go Jets, go Eagles, go Falcons, and go Rainbows. Yes. Okay. He forgot. He said he's a Patriots fan. All right, he's gone. gone. Rich Miano <laughs> joins us here on ESPN Honolulu. We're running way behind, but before we bring up another traffic update, want to let you know that we got this new series on YouTube. It's uh, it's like little kids asking athletes questions. So it's called Little Cakey Ask Big Questions, and uh, Cole Cabrera is the guest of Young Jackson Apana and Hunter Morimoto. Check it out, ESPNHonolulu.com. Or check out our YouTube page. Thank you very much to our sponsor, Dairy Gold Milk. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. minutes in front of seven o'clock with the sports animals on the bobby curran show on espn honolulu uh coming up we uh, uh we've got uh buy or sell no lie boo lie all that coming up and we have yet and we've been on the air since like yesterday afternoon and we there was so much going on we didn't have a there, there's a lot that we didn't have a chance to cover in the nfl a lot of deals being made guys like man Kirby Smart agreeing to a 10-year, $112.5 million contract. Remember when John Gruden, just a few short years ago, got a 10-year, $100 million contract? We thought, wow, unbelievable. Man, that's a huge contract. The big, you know, highest-paid coach in the NFL, blah, 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 blah. It seems, with guys like Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, it seems like if you're a coach and you want to make a lot of money, you don't go to the NFL. You go to the SEC. <laughs> or Lincoln Riley is supposed to be making $10 million this year. Nick Saban, $9.9 million this year. Unbelievable <laughs> dollar amounts. Wow. All right, our top stories and more coming up on ESPN Honolulu. Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. No lie, do lie. Coming up on ESPN Honolulu, it's Sports Animals in for Bobby Curran. 
By the way, they, uh, they've raised uh, today's uh, Mega Millions jackpot again. Uh, it went from 630 to now $660 million. That's the ninth biggest jackpot ever. Now, if you win, you can get the pre-tax catch option. I don't know what that means. You get $377 million. Is that if you take one check? That means if you get it all right now, yes. If you get it yearly, you would get more, but you might not live long enough to get the 600 plus million. So some people would do it now and take the taxes off immediately. I would go that route. Yeah. I mean, my age. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, 76. It's, you know. (laughs) That's next year. But, yeah, seriously, what's really, to you and I, there's no difference between 377 million and 660 million. It's the same amount. You say that almost in jest, but you're right. I mean, are you going to notice it? You're still going to be able to get I don't whatever say it almost you want. In jest. I say it 100%. I stand behind it. For you and me, there's no difference between 600 million and 300 million. Because you could buy anything and everything in the world you want and still have a few dollars left over and not even notice if it's a million or a 300 million left over. I, I know what okay, you mean. Okay, so if you won the lottery, what's the first thing that you would buy? I would buy my mother 24 7 nursing or or aid help for the, her. I would uh-huh. buy her probably a, a house that she'd be able to move around because she has trouble walking. I would buy a house maybe on in Hawaii and maybe L.A. and New York, something like the rich people seem to do all the time, and maybe a nice car, and I would take Chris Hart out to dinner. You know what I would buy? I would buy, first thing I would do is buy $650,000 in jewelry, and then hopefully it doesn't get stolen. Yeah. Uh, Just like uh, Wander Franco. He plays for the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm transitioning, by the way, here. (laughs) This just came out a second ago, so... This, you ever heard of this guy? He's a baseball player? I know the last name, yeah. Frank, okay. Anyway, so um, I guess uh, there was a 24-year-old guy used a wrench to break into Franco's Rolls-Royce in Jacksonville, Florida. It was at a hotel parking lot at 3 a.m. The guy grabbed a safe that contained seven pieces of jewelry, according to the arrest report. Uh, he stole the jewelry, and then he I guess he uh, busted open the safe sold the jewelry at a pawn shop, and I guess at the pawn shop they take your fingerprint. Cops got his fingerprint, tracked him down, arrested the guy. But this is what, um, um, <laughs> gosh, the guy, was, the guy was with the Tampa Bay Rays, but he was playing with the AAA Durham Bulls at the time. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? I think today or this week is the 35th anniversary of Bull Durham, the movie coming out. Ah, okay. Is that this, the, the Durham, uh, Bull Durham? Bull Durham, okay. yeah, with Kevin, right, right. Kevin Costner and Tim Robbins, yeah. Okay, so he's playing AAA ball, and uh, you know what? I'm driving around driving around in my Rolls Royce with a safe full of jewelry. I'll just leave it in the car. It's too heavy to bring up to the hotel room. Gosh. So inside, I guess in, uh, it was a $60 safe. $60 <laughs> safe? I guess wow. the guy was pretty... The guy just pried it open with a screwdriver. So uh, in there, it was a $300,000 gold diamond-crusted Cuban link chain and circular medallion with uh, diamonds and a W in the center, I guess for his first name, Wander, Fonder Wander. Okay, when you ask what I would buy, if I'm going to buy that much jewelry, I would probably invest more in a safe. That's probably how we could afford the jewelry, by not spending <laughs> anything on the safe. $60? Wow. Oh, but, but wait, there's more. A $200,000 rose gold Cuban link chain with diamonds. 
a seven two hundred thousand dollars for a gold chain that you're not even wearing. Think about how many people in the world could eat for two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, a seventy thousand dollar gold pendant with a medallion in green and blue lettering, spelling Franco. A forty-four thousand dollar platinum Rolex watch with diamonds, a twenty thousand dollar American League championship ring, a twenty thousand dollar championship ring from Durham. The the triple A <laughs> thing is worth ring is twenty thousand dollars. Maybe he made his own. Wow. And and uh, let's see, a, a five thousand dollar gold pendant of Jerry the Mouse from Tom and Jerry. <laughs> that you can understand. <laughs> <laughs> what a wide range there, isn't it? Man, a $300,000 gold chain, two, half a million dollars in two gold chains. Stolen from your $60 safe in your Rolls Royce at a AAA hotel, at a AAA ballpark type hotel. I'm surprised that Rolls Royces are popular amongst today's athletes. I don't know, but that's crazy. That is. Glad they, so, glad they found the stuff, at least. Right. So if you win $377 million, what's another, you know, what's 650000 Come on. It's <laughs> you, not could the- easily, you could easily spend it and go, ah, oh, the safe 60 bucks. I lose it, I lose it. I'll just buy some more. That's where, crazy. Where, where my mother lives in New Jersey, the maintenance guy won a million-dollar lottery. I think it was a scratch-off like three years right before COVID. Uh-huh. And the first thing he did was resign. He quit, and he was a good maintenance worker. My mother liked him, but he won a million dollars, and I saw the signs in the lobby a few months later, and he quit. That was the first thing he did. Well, good for the maintenance. Being a maintenance guy around buildings is probably not the most pleasant job. I mean, I don't know. Some people, maybe you enjoy it or not, but, you know, if you, you can do something else with your time. Like, you know what? I mean, you don't have to really work, for one thing. Well, maybe a million dollars wouldn't last a lifetime, but it probably could or should. Right. Most people. All right. It's uh, it's seven minutes after the hour, and uh, we promised top stories, but we lied. Let's get into lie, no lie, boo lie. Tanner Hayworth, hit it, baby. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or Sell. Morning, guys. Well, and maybe that was the top story. Go ahead. <laughs> it might have been. I thought, they, I thought they were a top story, if that helps you <laughs> okay. in any way. But Thank you. It seems like every season when the New York Mets start out hot, the All-Star break is usually the start of a disappointing end for Mets fans. <laughs> yes. But with Scherzer looking healthier, the team looking to get DeGrom back soon with solid starters in the bullpen, even with a streaking Atlanta Braves approaching closer and closer for that division lead, buy or sell, the Mets will not slump into the playoffs and finish as one of the top teams in the NL. I'm going to sell it because I've seen this movie before, and uh, I'm not really joking. There have been so many years in the last six, seven years, not including COVID, where they've been really good. You're totally right, Tanner, at the All-Star break, maybe even leading to August and early September, and they totally flame out, flake out. They just totally stink it up. Now, Max Scherzer has been great. He's going to turn 38 next week, 
And I just wonder what the lifespan on a 38-year-old pitcher throws as hard as he does and strikes out everybody is. I'm hoping he can maintain this for the season at $43 million a year. But I'm, I'm, I am so skeptical because, again, the Braves are the World Series champs. They've been playing great. One thing in the Mets' favor, and I looked this up last week, they have a fairly easy schedule in the second half if there is such a thing. They only have, I think, four series against teams that would be in the playoffs, including the Padres this weekend and the Yankees next week. But I'm selling it. I have a feeling they'll slump. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy that this is the year uh, where the Mets, you know, at least make it to the playoffs. Now, coming up, they've got the new they've got a couple of games with the Yankees, but then they get to play Miami and Washington and Cincinnati. Well, you know what? You got the Atlanta Braves coming up. A four-game, one, two, three, four, five-game series with the Atlanta Braves. And I think it's then they play a couple of more series, and then they got four games with the Braves. So I think that they've, you know what, it's it's how they do against the Braves. But I'm going to say, you know what, I, I, I'm buying the Mets. I think this could be the year where they make it to the playoffs. Hope because right. besides the Atlanta Braves, I mean, you know, they're in pretty good shape. They should make the playoffs. First place might be tough, but you're right. I, I hope you're totally right. Buy, 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 or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And on the heels of their first national title since 1980, Georgia announced a 10-year, $111 million contract extension for Coach Kirby Smart. Georgia has been in the top 10 for recruiting what seems like every single year since Kirby Smart has yeah. been there. And he is the one assistant of Nick Saban other than Jimbo Fisher that has beaten Nick Saban, let alone the only one to do it in a national champion. Woo. Buy or sell, Kirby Smart will be the one to usurp Saban for top dog in the SEC. I am buying it 100%. Maybe because he's only 46 years old. Look, in six seasons, he's 66 wins, 15 losses. He's breached the college football playoff twice. Played in five straight college football playoffs or New Year's Six Bowl games during his tenure. And I'm just reading this. I'm not off the top of my head. I know you were impressed there for a second. Very impressed. Georgia has won four SEC East titles and one SEC championship back in 2017. So, you know what? He's just 46 years old, and uh, he's going to be around for at least 20 more years if he wants to be. And I think he will surpass Nick Saban. As far as wins or championships, I'm just trying to clarify the question, Tanner. Uh, I will say championships then. I don't know. I'm going to sell that. Uh, and even this year, even though Georgia's the defending champ, people have said Alabama is so good this year that their second stringers could make the playoffs, which yeah. is incredible. I know that's an exaggeration. I, I'm not writing Nick Saban off yet. And I know Kirby Smart is younger, as Chris said, but I, I think Nick Saban's going to keep winning a well, going to win a few more. And Georgia hasn't always been in the playoff. They have been obviously this past year, and I think only once before that. I'm going to go. With, I'm going to sell that and stick with Nick Saban. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And finally, on the same day that Kirby Smart got his extension, Kyler Murray signs a five-year extension worth two hundred thirty and a half million dollars. That means the Arizona Cardinals have now extended their quarterback, head coach Cliff Kingsbury, and general manager Steve Kime to five-year extensions, buy or sell. After those five years, Kyler Murray will be the only one left in Arizona. <laughs>
I'm buying. I think you're right about that. Uh, because if they don't go to the playoffs or go far in the playoffs, Cliff Kingsbury's already on the hot seat. And last year they made the playoffs after that 7-0 start, 7-0 start and loss to the Rams. I, Kyler Murray will be there because nobody's going to take that contract, and he's probably going to be good enough for them to keep. I think he'll be the last man standing on buying. I'm going to buy it, too, for the reasons that Gary said. But remember, for this contract in five years, he's going to be, you know, he's not going to be one of the top paid guys. So I'm I, I'm going to buy it just because they made the investment. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't see the Cardinals being being a great football team. I don't think that Kyler Murray actually deserves that money. What has he done? Anyway, I'm uh, I'm buying it. Buy, 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 buy or sell. Sell, sell, sell. That's today's buy or sell on ESPN Honolulu. All right. Tanner Hayworth. I call him Tan Hay. Tan Hay. Hey, hey, hey. But this, let's build on that for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyler Murray, it's a $230.5 million deal. Now, this is not, now $160 million is guaranteed. And it runs through the 2028 season. Deshaun Watson got a five-year, fully guaranteed $230 million contract. But when you talk about it, and I, I think I saw this on a comment on an um, article or something, what has Deshaun Watson or Kyler Murray really even accomplished? Well, Deshaun Watson, I think, led the league in passing yards when he was with Houston with a 5,000 once. So, but in the playoffs, they haven't really they haven't done anything. That's the point. I think what have they accomplished is that they're young. They got potentials like drafting a freshman early in the draft because he had that potential and a high ceiling. Because as you said, $46 million five years from now, he won't be the highest paid. So they're either going to spend a little bit now or a lot now, but maybe less later if they had to sign him to a deal then. So maybe it's money well spent, even though it looks ridiculous for both yeah, guys, actually. It does. I mean, because, uh, let's see, Patrick Mahomes averages $45 million a year. And, you know, so this is kind of the going rate. You know, Deshaun Watson is about $46 million a year. This basically, it's in the, you know, it's like the NBA's Supermax deals, right? Aaron Rodgers is making, what does he average, about $45 million He's a in year that or something yes. like that? Yeah, uh, $46 million, Sorry, no. Aaron Rodgers, $50 million a year. Woo! Well, that's right, 50 That's right. $50 million a year to not make it deep into the playoffs. I know but, there's more than just the quarterback, and he is a Hall of Fame quarterback. But um, I mean, fifty million. I mean, that's live golf money right there. That's a, that, that's that's what these guys are getting. These these guys no are choice. getting they're getting Bryson DeChambeau money. They just have to work more than Bryson DeChambeau does. John's calling in now at eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Hi. you know, just to change the subject, I was uh, oh. watching that. Uh, the special, uh, the captain about uh, Derek Jeter, uh, kind of enjoying that. By the way, I'm from Chicago, so there's no way I'm a New York sports fan. But I always liked uh, Derek Jeter. I remember one time, I think they were playing the Boston Red Sox, when uh, he went flying into the stands to catch yeah. a foul ball, and he comes up with, like, blood on his face. And I was like, man, this guy's playing a man's game, you know? But it was like, and okay, I grew up in the 60s, and I always admired a guy – it doesn't cause any trouble, doesn't talk a lot, but lets his game, like, speak for him on the field. And I think Derek Jeter was uh, 
you know, it's always uh, like that. But, uh, hey, one story, though, because I was in Chicago one time, and uh, half of my family is White Sox fans, which I'm not. And uh, they said, hey, we got an extra ticket for a game. And I said, who they play? And they said, the Yankees. I said, okay, I'm in. Because uh, <laughs> I went because I wanted to see. It was the second of the last year that Derek Jeter was playing. And uh, I think he had, like, five singles. He kept hitting these little flares to right field, like, just far enough where you couldn't catch him. But I was like, you know, this guy is uh, uh, kind of one of my favorite players out of the last 25 years, and that says a lot for me being a Cubs fan. But I'm just saying that uh, um, what do you guys think of that, and what do you think of that special on TV? I'm not sure if you've seen it at all. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for the call, John, and uh, you can listen on the radio. I've just seen a little bit of it. I was amazed how bad he was uh, coming out of high school. He was the sixth choice overall by the Yankees. And the Yankees, by the way, it was kind of cool that they documented that was his favorite team. There's all kinds of pictures of him growing up as a little kid wearing Yankees uh, hats and things like that. I was surprised at how bad he was. In one year, he committed uh, in minor league ball 56 errors. Are you kidding? 56 <laughs> errors. And, and, and he's commenting today on... You know, that's hard to do. Even if you tried to commit all those errors, that's hard to do. So that's how bad he was. And then something clicked in 1994 where he just started moving up the charts and he was the minor league player of the year. And I think somebody got hurt, and then they brought him up uh, to the big show. And so that was about all of the, the, the series I had. But I think it's done very, very well. And I think that uh, Derek Jeter is very open and honest, and it's kind of uh, – He's got a nice personality. I, I, I wonder if in this somewhere they say, hey, now that you're not with the uh, – who is he with, the Marlins? He's not with them anymore, but he's with the owner and CEO. So he was the, with the with – the, uh, now he's not with the Marlins. He's going to kick Tom Brady out of his house. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Tom Brady's renting his house. So I wonder if he's like, hey, uh, uh, I'm going to be needing that house there, Tom. you got 30 days to move out. Right, right. Eviction notice. I, anyway, I didn't it's see a pretty sec- good series. It's a pretty good series. Yeah, I didn't see the second part. I taped that it was last night. There's seven total. One of the things that's interesting about him, Rich Miano earlier was talking about page six, which is like the TMZ in the New York paper. They were basically under orders never to report about Derek Cheater, where he was going at night. He dated every beautiful actress, model, singer. I mean, from Jessica Alba to Mariah Carey to on and on and on. But they never reported about him. Like, in the paper every day, they report where the celebrities are, are viewed or seen, whatever club. They never wrote anything about him. He also said, I believe last night I read this, that he said if cell phones were around in the 90s, he never would have made it because of all the cell phone uh-huh. videos of him going right. out and about. But he never got in any legal trouble at all, which was good. But, yeah, I'm not a Yankee fan, and I love Derek Jeter. <laughs> he was as – as we used to say in high school, he was a scammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, but, but a great did, baseball wasn't player. It, did he comment on the gift baskets that he used to leave his dates? What I read, and I haven't seen this. I'm not sure if it was last night or not. He said he basically said that didn't happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, so All I right. want to carry on how he presents that part. That was a rumor for, about him. For folks that didn't have never heard that rumor, the rumor was that whenever he would have a date with somebody, and then they'd wake up in the morning and. Maybe maybe he would be gone, and there'd be a gift basket with like autographed baseballs and things. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty minutes after seven o'clock here with the sports animals. Uh, coming up next, we're going to tell you why Kyler Murray's deal is not even close to being as good a deal as uh, Deshaun Watson's. That's coming up on ESPN Honolulu. 
The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic. Visit drcharlesarakaki.com. We're talking about Kyler Murray. Uh, it was announced uh, yesterday. Is it yesterday? Yes. Yeah, yesterday. It was announced that he agreed to a $230.5 million deal. Uh, now he's up there with some of the richest quarterbacks in the NFL history. And I was researching some of this, and I found it really interesting. I came across something. Now, first of all, the Deshaun Watson's five-year $230 million contract is fully guaranteed fully guaranteed um kyler murray is getting a hundred thousand dollars more per year in average salary but he only got 160 million dollars in guarantees so now there's something there's a difference between a guaranteed contract and a fully guaranteed contract, which I don't understand, even though I'm reading it here. So it's not a, is a good a deal, which is obvious, right, because it's yeah, not fully guaranteed. Right. But um, I don't know that, you know, somebody like uh, Aaron Rodgers, he makes $50 million a, d- a year. I don't know the the uh the details on his but isn't his mostly guaranteed if it's not fully it definitely is mostly yes yes but if it's i mean if it's a five-year 250 and i'm going to look it up in a second for some reason that sounds familiar i wonder i mean they can't guarantee the fifth year because i mean how he's going to be over 40 then and i would be surprised if that was guaranteed if the end of that contract is guaranteed yeah, but anyway, the um, the interesting part about this is that you might wonder, okay, why don't the Cardinals give him a fully guaranteed contract? You know, because we thought that, because we thought, okay, Deshaun Watson is getting two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed. He just set the he just set the table for everybody else. Right. Right. Now, because other owner ownership and other uh, teams were upset at owner Jimmy Haslam, like, dude, see, because the Brown the, Deshaun Watson. There were four teams that were bidding for him. And when he when Deshaun Watson eliminated the Browns, they said, "Okay, now we got to come back. We got you know, Baker Mayfield's not coming back cuz we already made him really mad at us." <laughs> so they had no choice but to to make an, an unbelievable deal. But here's why according to profootballtalk.com, here's why that um, maybe they didn't set the they, they didn't set the standard for quarterback deals with 230 million dollars maybe you know maybe it's already been done but in order to um, when you're giving these full full guarantees you need to make sure right because it's so much money I'm gonna give you 230 million dollars guaranteed well what if the what if the the owner goes uh, goes bankrupt right? So you yeah. got to take some of this money and put it into escrow. So for Deshaun Watson, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, has to deposit $169 million into an escrow account by March of uh, next year. 
So that's basically you're writing a check. Here's a check for $169 million. We're guessing that Bill Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, can't write a check for $169 million. So that's why Kyler Murray's deal is not fully guaranteed. That's a lot of money to just take it one time and place in escrow. That's what this is coming to. That These players are getting paid so much that the billion-dollar owners don't have don't have a you know, they don't have a quick hundred seventy or what's it going to be two hundred million to stick in escrow <laughs> or don't want to. That's crazy. It's it getting makes, so crazy. The owners can't afford these stars. It makes sense that that's the procedure. I never thought of it, but it makes sense because what happens if the owner, you know, let's say sells the team A or doesn't have the money? More importantly, I guess I wonder if Jimmy Haslam had to do something similar for Deshaun Watson and put two hundred million or two thirty in escrow. This might no, be no, no. A- what I what I started out was saying that Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, has to deposit one hundred sixty nine millions into an account by March thirty first. Try and follow along the show. Uh, you're talking. I thought you talked about Murray had to get uh, uh, for, for the Cardinal. Bill Bidwell had to put 169 million in escrow. No, no, I said the Cleveland Browns owner. Anyway, uh, um, this might be a dumb question. When you put money in escrow, does it draw interest? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you have 169 million there for five, six years, I would imagine that's pretty significant. What you're going to draw on that? Do you know? Well, it's it's it's. I'm not sure all of the interworkings of how this works in this situation, so I don't know. But what I'm getting at is that it's just really, really a lot of money that you got to pay at one time, and uh, so that's why I don't know that you're going to have these crazy, crazy, crazy. I don't know how much farther it can go up. Although we always say that, but I mean, this is to the point where it's you're tying up a lot of money. For one single football player who might get injured. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, five years, 250. Only three years is guaranteed. $150 million is guaranteed for him. And <laughs> I was thinking about how high they're going to go up, too, because you and I talk about it a lot. I'm always saying I can't believe this guy's getting $30 million, $40 million. Steph Curry is going to get $50 million. Uh, Damian Lillard's going to get $63 million in five years. I was wondering... Who would be the first $100 million a year athlete? And the name I came up with when thinking about it was Bronny James. <laughs> I mean, when you hear about him, uh, I think he's only a junior coming up this year in high school. Eight years from now when he's in his third, his second contract in the NBA. I mean, are they ever going to stop? I keep thinking they have to stop. They have to level off these contracts. Yeah. You keep telling me they're not, and they keep going higher and higher. Damian Lillard, $63 million? I mean, that's almost a million a game, or 700, 800,000 a game. That's yeah. crazy. So is Bronny James going to get that $100 million a year contract? I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked if that happens. It's funny because his, his dad, who's already a billionaire, will be all, hey, uh, Bronny, can you, can you spare me a couple of bucks? I, I, it sounds crazy, but don't you think that's possible, the way things are going in every sport, at least you know, basketball and football for the most part? I don't know, and that's why, that's why it's crazy. I mean, but the, the value of teams – keeps going up too everything yeah. in sports is going through the roof Including i don't prices. know well yeah that's what it's going to come down to is now for regular season games guys like you won't be able to go to a game you you won't be able to go to right now what is it a few hundred dollars for a junk seat at a basketball game Pretty much. I didn't go to a hockey game last April a couple of months ago because it was just too expensive. It was $165 for 
average seat way up high, and I, I didn't go. That's the first time I didn't go to a game because of the price. Ever. Right. So what is it going to be in 10 years? It's going to be $1,000 a seat. Yep. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> all right, 732. Now that we're all happy and uh, uh, really happy about sports and the way it's headed, it's 732. Uh, I believe we've got to check your surf now on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. One of the most interesting teams in the NFL offseason are the Miami Dolphins. And we're going to talk more Dolphins football. We are joined right now on ESPN Honolulu with the host of the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Back with us, Travis Winkfield. Travis, thanks for joining us. A lot of people in Hawaii are really curious and following the Dolphins, mainly because of Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And I keep reading that this is a make-it-or-break-it year for Tua. Where are you on that? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Gary. I appreciate it. And, you know, I I always kind of get the sense that – Maybe I know football is a, a lack of patience, get me results right now type of business type of league. But, I mean, he's still just 23 years old and has his entire career in front of him. And, you know, this is a big year for Tua to kind of make a step in the right direction and, and prove to folks that he can maybe be the guy that gets that second contract for the Miami Dolphins. But I, I don't think it's like the end of his career if he has some bumps and bruises along the way, if the Dolphins – stumble in some areas, you know, some injuries occur. Like, there's always circumstances and variables that can come back to have an impact on the way the quarterback plays that can be outside of his control. So I think that it's a big year for him, but I wouldn't say it's like make or break for his entire career. That's reassuring in a way because, I mean, I look at his record. I, I know he's over 500. His completion percentage in the high 60s around 68%. He's beaten Bill Belichick, I think, three out of three games. And, you know, he hasn't had a great offensive line, but it wasn't like he's been like some of the other rookie quarterbacks who have really struggled. And with the injuries, new coach almost every year, a new coordinator every year. I'm surprised at some of that criticism. What do you think, besides staying healthy, is the biggest thing he has to show everybody on the field this year with Miami to prove he should be their starting quarterback yeah and if you can tell me why he gets that criticism more than other guys i would love to hear it because i haven't <laughs> figured it out in a couple of years myself either so yeah i i don't get it but as far as what i think he needs to do to kind of take a stranglehold on the job is you know i think that he was always a player and you guys probably know this better than anyone down here does that was just uber confident and really really trusting his abilities and i think we kind of saw that maybe float a little bit in the wrong direction the last couple of years due in part to maybe that you know some of the trade rumors, uh, the injury that occurred that was, you know, catastrophic when it happened, and now he's at full strength and looks really good, looks, you know, thickly built, put back together the way that we kind of knew he was when he was at Alabama. And I think that an addition of confidence and this offensive system that should cater to his skill sets better than I think the previous ones did, I think will go a long way for him. Now, for Tua, like, and this is a lot of the quarterbacks that come into the league these days that are, you know, not quite six feet or just barely six feet, that kind of shallow cross, shallow middle portion of the field is an area where I think he can get a lot better at. I don't know if it's because he couldn't see it or just whatever the case may have been. He didn't really find guys in those spots last year. So the kind of shallow, under-the-middle part of the field will be a big part for two of this year. Does that help his uh, prediction or potential with the offense, having a guy like Mike McDaniel there coming over from the 49ers as their head coach, as maybe opposed to Brian Flores, who didn't always seem to be on board with Tua? 
Yeah, I just think that the the offensive systems that were put in place were kind of, you know, there wasn't a lot of consistency, and it was the, the area that was consistently not working out for the Dolphins with, with regards to just the production, right? The defense was always good. The offense couldn't quite seem to, to get their, their foothold. But with McDaniel, this system is going to be predicated on the running game. They're going to find a way to, to stretch teams out and, and not just get them stretched vertically but horizontally. And then Tua, you know, on the move, out of the pocket, and especially in that short intermediate area, he's so accurate in that regard. and gets the ball out so quickly that I think it's a really good fit between him and McDaniel this year. We're talking with Travis Wingfield with the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, here with the animals on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Travis, besides Tyree Kill, who's a great addition for any team, and it's going to really help Tua, what other additions offensively could help Miami this year in Tua? I, the offensive line, you mentioned that early on, Gary, how important it is for the Dolphins' offensive line to get better product, protection because if they want to fully utilize Tyreek Hill's skill set, and then also Jalen Waddle, who, you know, in college was one of the most explosive downfield threats in the history of the sport, and then last year was kind of converted into a possession type of receiver that just kind of moved the chains for the Dolphins, and that's a, a you know, tip of the cap to his diverse skill set and how valuable he is to the offense. But I think that you know, with those two guys kind of stretching things out, it could create some opportunities on the inside for a guy like Cedric Wilson, who, uh, you know, was a slot receiver for the Cowboys and, and was the fourth or fifth option there and still posted good numbers and runs really well with the ball after the catch. I think that he's going to have an opportunity to get some of those slot fade routes that Tua hit last year, whether it was Parker, Isaiah Ford, Jalen Waddle. I think he's really good in that route. So I think Cedric Wilson and the offensive line, giving the offense more time to, to you know, attack downfield, will be two big pieces for Tua. It was a very interesting offseason, to say the least, for Miami. And I want to ask you what we heard maybe in January or February, uh, maybe continuing for months, about the rumors that Tom Brady might come over and Sean Payton would be the head coach. Tom Brady even trying to be a minority owner, a good friend with one of the owners there, not, not Stephen Ross, but another owner there. Was there anything to that as far as the rumors? As far as I know, no, just because of what the coaches and the GMs or the, you know, the front office has said when they've been asked about it. You know, McDaniel was pretty was pretty dismissive back at the owners' meetings in March, uh, just saying no, we didn't have conversations about Tom Brady. And obviously, with you know, with McDaniel being here, that would mean that Sean Payton's uh, potential window, I guess, would be in the past. But I, I think the Saints, you know, the Saints had control of Sean Payton's right. So at that point, I don't really know how how valid that pursuit could have been. Now, if Sean Payton becomes available and and you have an opening, I think you'd be kind of foolish to not say, hey, uh, is that guy going to be available? Because he has a Super Bowl championship. He's won double-digit games, you know, 10 times in, in his career, whatever it is. So I think that you have to do your due diligence and look at the, the all-time greats, which Peyton and Grady are. But, no, I, I don't think that there was ever a point where it was almost across the goal line. Where are they right now with the Brian Flores lawsuit that's still ongoing? Honestly, Gary, I couldn't tell you. I, I, it's something that I don't really uh, meddle in too much. So I, I honestly don't have an answer for you on that. Okay. Do you, but, but some of the things that you heard as far as, I mean, him claiming that he was offered money to lose games, you think there was any truth to that? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that that's, you know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was, there was conversations that were had that were, that were brought up, but as far as the validity of that and the, the, the I should say, the seriousness of, of potential, you know, off like that, I, I think was, I would say no to that. As, as far as Miami in that division, again, they beat New England a few t uh, every time Tua has started the game against them. They've done well then. Do you think they could be a playoff team based on what their roster looks like, at least today? Yeah, the Dolphins? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I definitely think they do that. I think they got a lot better at some of the areas they were weak in last year. You know, nine victories with a team that, for all intents and purposes, as far as stats go, and the tape probably backs it up too, was one of the worst in terms of pass protecting and running the football. If they can just get better in those two areas and you get expected growth from Tua, which I think we should expect that uh, with the offense and the new weapons, I think you certainly can. And, it, and you, you mentioned the Patriots. It starts in division right there. you got to find a way to sweep the Jets. Probably gotta, gonna have to go ahead and sweep the Patriots again this year, too, because the Bills are pretty tough. But I think that if they can do that, they'll be right in the mix with the rest of the teams in the AFC. I know you had uh, tweeted or retweeted earlier today about uh, Byron Jones on the pup list. Is there anything to be concerned about as far as his future with the season for Miami? No, I don't think so. I know he had surgery back in the offseason uh, in the ankle Achilles area, but I think that was, I think this may be more of a precaution, just kind of making sure that he's ready to go, which uh, coming off that surgery, you got to be careful with a guy that's played as many games as he has. A lot of Miami fans here because of Tua. Hopefully they will make the playoffs this year. We can forget about some of that talk about the pressure and uh, if he'll be a Miami Dolphin next year. Travis, thanks for talking Dolphins football with you. We hope to do it again when the season starts. Anytime. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Travis Winkfield joining us. He is the host of the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, with us on ESPN Honolulu. I've got to put my microphone in front of my mouth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I like what he said about the make it or break it part with Tua, where, I mean, I, even in today's uh, Star Advertiser, there's a column from a Miami writer talking about it could be a make it or break it year for Tua. We keep hearing that, but his numbers weren't average. They were actually pretty good. I mean, he came back last year from the injury and did well with that six or seven game winning streak. The completion percentage is up there. It's been in the high 60s last year, mid 60s its first year. I, I don't really understand most of the scrutiny about him. I can understand the health concerns. That okay, is something why I isn't think. why isn't Kirk Cousins considered one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? Has the numbers. You have to remember, Tua Tagovailoa. Didn't he get pulled from a game and benched twice? Twice. But and early. I think that's what people are talking about. I think that's what people are talking about. Is you know, you have this guy that was picked before Justin Herbert, and you had to pull him off the field and say, "Sit down and watch, son." I think that's, I think that's what a lot of people are thinking about. You, you, they are, but some people even took it a little further and blamed Brian Flores for doing that—that that he just wasn't on board with Tua and was yeah. maybe looking for a reason to pull him because he got pulled pretty early in those games, and maybe that wasn't the right move, according to some. Yeah, but I, I'm but I'm I'm guessing because you're going. Why are people saying this? He's got the numbers. It's more than just numbers. Otherwise, we'd be celebrating Kirk Cousins and uh, talking about him when we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and everything else. He's got great numbers. He just doesn't bring the wins. But he's so also done it for a long what? time. I mean, two is still real, very young, and Kirk Cousins been around what seven, eight years, or something like that. Right, because we live in an instant gratification world. We want immediate success. We want him to be as successful, and just as the just as successful as the guy that was picked after him in the draft. Justin Herbert's success doesn't is not doing any favors to Tua Tagovailoa. That's true. You know, it, it, it's it's I just I just root that he just stays healthy. That's all. Just stay healthy, and don't get pulled from games. And I think we'll see. He has enough talent around him. I mean, this is a team that's usually, you know, Brian Flores, a defensive guy. This is a team that it's, the, the defense is really, the defense has won the games that they've won. Tua Tagovailoa never had 
any time to throw the football. So when people are talking, so I'm defending him here. So when people talk about, oh, well, you know, all these short passes, he didn't have time to throw anything downfield. Nobody was blocking for the poor guy. You put the Cleveland Browns offensive line in Miami, and I think you see a difference. I think you really see a difference. I was watching this guy. I can't stand uh, Mad Dog Christopher Russo or something. For some <laughs> reason, yeah. ESPN picks up this guy. I mean, he's just 110% New York. And he was having a debate with, um, oh, gosh, what's his name? Not Stephen uh, No, the uh, former Pittsburgh Damn. Steeler, New York Giant. Uh, anyway. He had a debate with him, and uh, they were talking about, the question was, who's going to give the Bills the most trouble this year? And Ryan Clark had said, okay, it's the Miami Dolphins. And he's saying, this guy Russo is saying it's not the Miami Dolphins. But Ryan Clark is giving you stats. He's giving you points of views from watching and analyzing. This guy Russo is just, he's like you and I. He's just a talking head. He's a baseball guy. Yeah, but I mean, so what I'm getting at is he, he couldn't hold his own, but he was all over putting Tua Tagovailoa down, saying he can't throw a deep ball. And I thought, you know what? He's kind of known for throwing his deep balls. When you're throwing in one of the stats that you're talking about is passes over 20 yards, he's one of the most accurate in the NFL. So, you know, it's the perception of guys like this mad dog. Uh, you hear it in, in his voice, and you hear his opinions. It's what people think for some reason. And there's got to be a reason more than he think that way. See, there's got to be a reason. Not every – there's a – perception is reality, right? Why is that perception of Tua Tonga-Vailoa? We're running behind. Got to get a traffic check. We'll be back on ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. Top stories coming up in a few minutes on ESPN Honolulu. It's Chris Hart and Gary Dickman on the Bobby Curran Show. I, I found this interesting article about the highest paid players per, per position in the NFL. Let's see if you can guess. Let's have some fun. Play along in the car. <laughs> highest paid quarterback, we already know. Yes. A-Rod. Aaron Rodgers. Highest paid, and I'm going off of uh, average salary per year. Highest paid running back. Kristen McCaffrey. You can't take too long on this. It's uh, you okay. know, bad radio. <laughs> Jump in there with what you think. Okay. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, by the way, has the most guaranteed money at $50 million a year. It's not even the best running back on the Cowboys anymore. Highest paid wide receiver. Cooper Cup. There you go. $26 million a year. Oh, almost 27 Highest paid tight end. Kelsey. George Kittle. One or the other, I knew. $40 million guaranteed in a six-year contract. Makes $15 million a year. Highest paid offensive lineman. Oh. David Bakhtari, Green Bay wow. Packers. You got the highest paid quarterback and the highest paid offensive lineman. Did he even play last year? I think he was out the whole year, I believe. Man. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, uh, former Polynesian player of the year, is the uh, $64 million, the most in guaranteed money. Uh, cornerback Jai, Z- Jair Alexander, Green Bay Packers, 
They've got the highest paid corner, the highest paid quarterback, and the highest paid offensive lineman. Wow. Crazy. Does anybody else make any money in Green Bay? Can't. Uh, highest paid edge rusher, T.J. Watt. Okay. Uh, Joey Bosa makes the most guarantees. He's got $100 million guaranteed, Joey Bosa. T.J. Watt averages $30 million a year. This one's easy. Highest paid defensive tackle, Aaron Donald. Okay, Josh. I was thinking of somebody else. Uh, off-ball linebacker, Fred Warner. Darius Leonard has the most guaranteed money. Highest paid safety. It's not, it's not um, um, Jamal Adams, is it? Jamal Adams? Yeah. Jamal a- is he even in the league anymore? S- Seattle. <laughs> Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick. Wow. He just got a new deal, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Justin Tucker is the highest paid kicker, $5 million a year, followed by Young Ho Koo for Atlanta, $5 million a year. Man, I remember when Jason Elam was making like a million dollars a year. We're all, whoa, kicker's making a million dollars a year. By the way, um, if you want to play football and not get hurt, you know, you say be a punter or a kicker or something like that. Become a long snapper. Yeah, I was going to say that. Become a millionaire like Josh Harris of San Diego, uh, San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, he, along with Luke Rhodes of Indianapolis and Zach Rhodes of New Orleans, they all make north of a million dollars a year. That's crazy. A million dollars a year. Hey, you got to get those snaps right. Guess who the high? We don't even know this name. Michael Dixon of the Seattle Seahawks makes just about $4 million a year as a punter. Wow. Why would the punter make less than a kicker? Punting's pretty but a kicker is important. You win a game in the last second play, so I think if you can get a guy that can kick a fifty yarder, it's going to be more important than punting a fifty yarder. But if you got you got a, dis, di, a a difference maker in field position, which is so important. So if you sure. have a Ray guy booting it down, you know, a million miles up in the air and way down the field, it's uh, pretty valuable. Anyway, top stories coming up next on ESPN Honolulu. Now from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Chris Hart and Gary Dickman, we are the sports animals in the morning on the Bobby Curran Show here. This is ESPN Honolulu. One of the top stories that we're uh, following along is the uh, yesterday afternoon, the Mountain West, uh, all Mountain West team came out. No players from the University of Hawaii, but we did have one player um, from Hawaii, San Diego State Center, uh, Uluwale. I got that wrong. I don't have it in front of me. Tanner, give me the name. Go ahead. Alama Uluwave. Uluwave, who is now on the Remington watch list. So one player from Hawaii. The state of Hawaii gets recognition. And hopefully in the postseason list, we'll have some players on that for the University of Hawaii. Listening to uh, Josh and John yesterday, they had Mike of Antipool and Panay Pavihi on the show. And one of the questions was about some of the players, you know, you might be excited about for camp. And I love when the new player emerges. Like, for example, Dietrich Parsons last year, for me at least, 
just knowing he played at Howard University, not, I didn't really know a lot about them, but I know they're not a FBS power. So he came in, I didn't expect a lot, and he was great last year. I thought he did a good job, and of course he's back this year. But the running back they talked about uh, yesterday on the show was Tylen Hine. He's out of Plano, Texas, 5'7", 170, a freshman coming in here. And the way they described him, he's somebody to keep your eyes on. So I'm hoping he will do pretty good for them as well. Got recruited by a lot of group of five schools. I think Air Force was one, Navy as well. But I'm excited about watching him as a new player, hopefully emerge this year. Don't know where he is on the depth chart. Now he's going to be behind Parsons, of course. But that was one of the guys I was excited about hearing yesterday. Also, in other headlines uh, going on, the uh, uh, Arizona Cardinals have made Kyler Murray a very, very rich man, a $230.5 million contract, $160 million guaranteed. I guess maybe that guarantees he won't go to the Oakland A's and play baseball because he's not going to get that much money from them. (laughs) He's making per year the entire payroll of the Oakland A's. That's pretty incredible. It is. Amazing. Also, since we're talking about contracts, the Georgia Bulldogs have given Kirby Smart a 10-year, $112.5 million contract, making him the highest-paid coach in college football. You win a championship, and I think that comes with the territory, so not surprising, especially in the SEC. All right, back to Mountain West uh, Conference media days. Uh, It's all pow. Everyone's headed home. And, um, you know, one of the things that I I didn't realize, but you can check out at mountainwestwire.com, is if, you know, the Pac-12 is expanding or whatever, if you want to leave the Mountain West Conference, you need to give up an exit fee of $16.5 million if you give more than a year's notice. If it's less than a year's notice, $33 million you got to pay. I guess that's one advantage of being in a group of five conference because if you want to leave the ACC early, I believe it's $122 million you have mm-hmm. to give. That's probably why some schools aren't leaving the ACC. That's a lot of money to give up. Mountain West, yeah. not so bad. Right. But it's all, all right, relative, your thoughts, your thoughts on the last couple of days? I mean, I'm not surprised, I guess, that Hawaii was picked last. Uh, again, it's the preseason polls we talked in the first hour. Don't mean a whole lot. I like the fact when hearing from the players, Panay and Micah Vanderpool, their, their excitement and talking about the culture and just almost hinting at how it was, how it's different now than it was before. Timmy Chang yeah. talking about the excitement. He kept using that word excitement. You know, the uh, I was reading the Star Advertiser who had an interview with uh, Chevin Cordero, and he's – he didn't come out and it's just basically saying everyone's happy. Everyone's finally happy. Nobody was happy. Everybody's happy. That word kept coming out. Happy, happy, happy. I think that maybe rejuvenates a team more than we know. So if Hawaii was 6-7 and seven last year with a bunch of miserable players, and I know we lost a lot of talent to the transfer portal and to graduation, but of the remaining players, I would think they'd be able to step it up this year by just having this load off of their shoulders. The relief, and you can kind of sense that when you hear the players talk and you see the videos and you see, again, it's just more, it's fun to play football, and it sounds like, to say the least, that it wasn't fun last year, winning or losing, and especially losing, but it's such a different culture, and I think that's one something Timmy Chang has brought from day one. Hopefully that'll translate to wins, and it might not be as much this year, but, yeah, you can just see, like, the weight lifted off their shoulders from everything we've heard, seen, and read. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully that will continue. I, again, I, I still don't 
know what they're going to have as far as a winning season. Rich Miano saying maybe it could be five, six, or seven, but it might even be a little bit lower. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, and hopefully we'll be patient. But at least the culture is there. The fans are there. And one thing, you know, Rich said, if you know, if we don't win, that fans won't fill up the TC chain complex. I, I, I can't. I mean, I guess that's true. It could be true. I would think, though, after really two years of fans not being allowed, and they were only allowed in full capacity for what, the last two or three home games last year, that 9,000 would be easy to get as far as filling that up, win, lose, or draw. I'm hoping if this team, I'm hoping they don't struggle, but if they do struggle early on, I, I'd be bothered a little bit if the fans don't show up and sell out that place. Because you remember, most of the fans, again, haven't had football to attend in person. And the atmosphere there, as we all know from being there, and the fans that have been there love, it's great. Uh, it's going to be small. It's going to be a hard ticket to get. But if we don't get 9,000 every game next year, and I know the schedule you know, might not be that attractive when you have a Duquesne, Western Kentucky, still it's football and you get to see it in person, and it's such a different environment yeah. on campus. I don't so know I'm hoping that, we get 9,000 uh, every game. I don't know that you put down Western Kentucky. It's a pretty good football program. But it's not It's not going to be a draw like Vanderbilt. My, Vanderbilt's not a good team, but they'll be a draw because they're a name. People aren't going to say, I'm going to go to this game because, hey, it's Western Kentucky. That's not going to draw yeah. people. But I think But I think that we in media can educate people and let them know that, hey, Western Kentucky is a good football program. Again, it's not a name program. Vanderbilt's not a name football program. They're a name baseball program. Um, it's not USC or UCLA or Michigan or anything else coming down. But that's what we get. I mean, I, I just hope that our fans aren't so fair weather that they're, okay, because when they opened it up last year, right, a lot of people stayed away because they were afraid about parking. And, and, and that's the kind of thing we're hearing at. It's not everything's not perfect when you go to a, a game on the mainland whether you're going to a college football game or a, 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 a pro football game or whatever something's going to be wrong it seems like some fans and, and i think many fans they're not really fans because okay i'll go to the game if it's not raining and if i think it's not going to rain if i can park just you know a few feet away um unless i can get out they hold off the traffic so that i can leave the campus first if they a police escort escorts me into the campus and i don't have to wait in line if the food isn't too expensive and if the food tastes great and somebody doesn't stand up in front of me then i'll go to a football game I think that's the problem with a lot of the Hawaii fans. It's like, I'll go to the game, but everything has to be perfect. It's like these types of people looking for a house to buy a home. They'll never find one because there might not be enough bathrooms or the living room's facing the wrong way. Maybe it's a three-car garage I want, not a two-car garage. It's not exactly right next to the school I want my kids to go to. Right? That's what it seems like for a lot of football fans or people who say they're football fans. But, I mean, last year you had everybody, there were people who said they couldn't or didn't want to get involved with the app 
the Lumi site app, and that was a little yeah. bit of a pain. And also the fact yeah. that fans weren't allowed till the, towards the end of the season. People had already made arrangements, whether it was pay-per-view, whatever they were doing, to watch the games, and they, they couldn't get season tickets at the beginning, so they weren't going to deal with that for the last two or three games. And the team was struggling at that time as well. So I think mm. that's more the reason we didn't get eight or 9,000 for those last two games. I thought they were going to sell out those games when right. it was allowed at full capacity. But so many people that we talked to or heard about said, what, you got to do an app? Uh, never mind. Yeah. D- too much problem. Because you couldn't – ask a 12-year-old. Ask a 12-year-old how to do it. I mean, I think nowadays, as you move on, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense that you can't figure out an app. I mean, what people – and these are the older fellas – and ladies, I mean, you all have smartphones. You have apps on your smartphones. <laughs> you don't want to download an app and answer two questions on it. Oh, too much humbug. So you're not really a fan, is what I'm saying. I know there are people that definitely were involved like that and not getting involved because of that. But I, that's all gone now. That's why I would I would really be surprised if they don't get nine thousand every game. It's going to be a hot ticket. Right. But what? Okay. So what's the other excuse going to be then? If they're not winning games, if they're not winning games, that's the only thing I can think of. But even then, it's only 9,000 seats. To me, to get to go to games, and I I think there are fans like me who really miss going to sporting events for two years, basically. And now that you get to go, but it didn't, I mean, basketball went through that, but it weren't allowed to full capacity until maybe January. I'm not sure when they lifted the the 50% capacity at Simplify Arena last year. Volleyball did very well in the spring. Of course, they were number one in the country most of the season. Right, but volleyball fans are a little bit more loyal than the fair-weather basketball and football fans. Oh, let's go to a game. Let's go. We'll go to the Diamond Head. Uh, we'll go to the Diamond Head. We'll watch, uh, you know, Miami play Hawaii. Oh, but Hawaii's got uh, Adams, Adams State. I'm not going to go. It's just how, and, and you know why? It's just too much trouble. Too much trouble to drive seven miles park and and, you know all of that it's just it's i wish that we could we could get over that i mean there are people that aren't going because they're upset because five years ago they chart they took away the uh they took away the upper level seating and they're never coming back i mean everything sets off hawaii fans whether i'm never going again we got the text and calls all the time i'm never going again somebody upset me or hurt my feelings i'm not going again an usher wasn't nice to me at a law stadium, never go, never returning. We can't do traffic like the Pro Bowl. Forget it. I give up on this team. <laughs> it's just crazy. That, the poor Timmy Chang. That, that's what he has to work with. Timmy Chang, one of the best quarterbacks in Hawaii history, constantly booed by fans when he throws an interception. How's that? Come on. Wake up. Support the team. It's the brotherhood. I agree, and I, again, if you win, that'll take care of a lot of those problems. But uh, I, they shouldn't be those excuses. I, I agree. I, I, but I think again, with Aloha Stadium, it, it was, you're going to notice a difference from getting 
30,000, you know, for a decent season or a good season back in the early 2000s, late 90s and stuff, except for 98, uh, 96 or 97. But uh, T.C. Ching getting 9,000, even if they lose, I, I, again, I'd be really surprised, even though those excuses are out there and those reasons are out there and they're going to be fans like that, 9,000 shouldn't be that difficult. With all those excuses, you still – and remember, the students are getting 900 of those. So there's really maybe 7,500 to 8,000 for – regular fans to go that is not a lot that shouldn't be hard to sell out every game regardless of how the team is doing yeah and and these and some of some of these guys that are um you know the, the corporate tickets they give away if you and i used to hear bobby curran say this all the time back in the day is hey you know what if you're not giving if you're not using your ticket give it to somebody somebody will like to go you know there's people that have tickets but they're not really fans it's part of their corporate deal so if you're not going to go, give it to an employee. Give it to somebody else. It's We, we need to get people in there who want to be there. You know what? Give it to more students. I think that more students would come if they could fit because they're, they're, they're rocking that end zone. I mean, that's, that's what guys like Leonard Peters, when we talked to yesterday afternoon, he would have loved to play on campus and walk home to his dorm room. They would have loved it. And all those students – the players playing for the students in the stands. That was awesome. If you if you don't want to go to the game, open it up to the students. Open it up to boys and girls clubs. Open it up to people who want to be there. Yeah, I mean, the students filled up their section every game. So I sure. mean, there's no problem that they could probably get more than the allotment they had last year. So yeah. uh, I, I'm, I, I know that part is not going to be a problem this year. I'm sure they'll show up, win, lose, or draw because it's an event, it's a party, and it's easy access. All right. Uh, you know what? We have a couple of phone callers. If you guys can call back, sorry, we went a little long uh, because Savo joins us next. Pedrog Savovic joins us next here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM. And 1420 AM. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the YNI Coast. We are uh, we are efforting to get a hold of uh, Pedrog Savovic. Would you say Savovic or Savovic? Savovic. Savovic. It's, it's because for so long we call him nothing but Savo. I, I can't remember how to say his name. Anyway, uh, Savo's not here. What's going on with that? 
Well, he's, <laughs> he, he's in Spain right now, but we've oh. called Spain before. We're efforting, so we're going to see if maybe he can call in since uh, for some reason we're not able to connect. But we're working on that as we speak, and uh, hopefully we will oh. reach him any second now. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, the uh, University of Hawaii women's soccer schedule came out yesterday, Coach Bud. And uh, they're going to start their ro- uh, start their season on the road. For the very first time in like 10 years, they're going to go to Arizona. Man, hopefully it's a little cooler over there. They're going to play an exhibition at northern Arizona in the middle of August. So I imagine it's still going to be really, really hot. Then they're going to open their season at Grand Canyon August 18th. And then they're going to go play Arizona State a few days later. Do they have? Do they play indoor soccer? They don't. It's going to be hot. They probably play at night, I would imagine. So it's not 120, but it was right. probably still be pretty Only hot. Only 90 there. or something. Yeah, right. right. A nice cool. Uh, hey, it, it's a dry heat. It's anyway, a dry heat. Yeah. So they get a couple of games. Grand Canyon, who's like good in all sports. Mm. Grand Canyon, and then Arizona State. And then, let's see, then they come back home and they play Seattle and Nichols State. And then the uh, Big West Conference, uh, oh, then they go to Oregon, sorry, and play Portland and Portland State. And then they they, uh, kick off the season against UC Davis against the regular season. So, anyway, um, they're looking for, you know, kind of a turnaround last year. Not very successful in wins and losses for the Rainbow Wahine, but they returned seven starters, so that's a good sign for Rainbow Wahine soccer. Yeah, and they won their last two games of the season. I think their only wins in Big West play, and then they were supposed to have their third and final, hopefully, win, and that was senior day that got canceled because of COVID. So they weren't even able to have their senior day, but they ended yeah. the season on a high note, on a winning note, uh, if that's any satisfaction. Hopefully that will carry over for this season. Yeah. All right, uh, 808-296-1420, Zephyr Insurance text line is open. And uh, somebody has it here that, uh, let's see, we were talking about Charles Barkley earlier. And Charles Barkley is going to meet with Greg Norman and see if he can, uh, you know, they, they want him to be a golf analyst for the Live Tour. Charles Barkley, it doesn't sound like he wants to leave TNT, He's hoping he can do both. But uh, we got a text earlier this morning. It says, rumor has it that Barkley is going to be the star of the new That's Incredible. I was wondering if that was a joke, A, but we talked. Well, That's Incredible is coming out. It is definitely? Okay. Yeah, I've heard it's coming out. That's the the old show that, uh, you know, my favorite athlete, Fran Tarkenton, was a part of. Should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I hope, though, okay, we I love Charles Barkley. A lot of people love everything he does, for the most part, on TV. I And I love Kelly Ripa on TV for her own show, but we talked yesterday how bad she is on her game show. I would hope Barkley would not ruin his, um, his popularity by being on a show where he's not as good as he normally is. You know what I mean? I, I'm hoping, I hope it's not a failure. And he, yeah, but he might be he, really he might be really good at it. You know, who it? said Jamie Foxx after being nominated for awards and being a stand-up comedian? Who said you know that guy'd be, be a he'd be a horrible game show host? Like I was saying yesterday, he's like the best game show host out there. 
Charles Barkley doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to be an MC, a host. I mean, he, I, can, <laughs> I can't see him on a talk show being a host. He's great on Inside the NBA, and I love almost everything he talks about. I, again, and you might be totally right where he's a smash hit. I just worry because he's out of his element, so to speak, that and even though Jamie Foxx was great at it, I wonder, and I, I hope if he does it, he is great because I'm a big fan of his, but I do wonder about that if he's, uh, I don't want to say getting greedy, but trying something that maybe not is his, 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 his best, something he'll be the best at. I don't see him leading, being the, the, the bus driver of a television show. That's not him. So it just, just depends on uh, Yeah. It just depends on how they would use him. All right. Zephyr Insurance text line is open, 808-296-1420. Uh, Gary was wondering about escrows. Uh, thank you, Alan, from Kaneohe. He says, uh, you should just direct your escrow to, uh, to establish an interest-bearing account. In other words, uh, the NFL players, the owners – now, if they're going to pay these guys guaranteed money, they got to put a ton of it. They got to write a check and put a ton of it into escrow. So Gary's question was, can they build interest on that? And the answer is yes. Yes, and that's that's good. That's a smart thing. You know, there was another text, Chris. I want to address. It came earlier today, but somebody wanted mm-hmm. to know that was reporting that uh, this is from Jeff that the transfer portal is going to have restrictions. And I'm reading about this this week. What they're talking about, and I like this actually, for mm-hmm. winter sports. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they would have like a 45-day window where if you're, let's say, a football player and I guess basketball and those sports and those seasons in college, you only have that 45-day window to transfer. And for the spring sports, I think it was like a 30-day window. That might be a little off. What that would do, I think, is that instead of having guys transfer all year round, and, you know, it's harder for college, let's say college basketball or football. If you get a guy transferring now, you're already set for next year. You're kind of like stuck in a way because you're, that's when your recruiting time is over. Right. I, I'm, I'm okay with having window and restrictions there. What if your coach leaves 31 days after the, the, the window? What if your coach is, you know, he has a run-and-shoot offense and uh, you're a run-and-shoot quarterback, and then uh, he leaves 31 days later and they hire a uh, triple-wing option coach? What are you going to do then? I think you go to uh, option A, and I think I've said this for a long time. What's too. option A? Whenever a coach leaves, a player should be allowed to transfer right. in any sport. I think that should have been the case before the transfer portal, because just for the example you just gave. But that's a good question if that does happen. But instead of having them just transfer all the time, I mean, it's, it's, it is for the most part, you're not going to have coaches leaving two, three months at, later after the season. But it does happen. Most of the changes are right after the season. But I think just having that set amount of time, and it's a long period, again, a month and a half or so, should be enough to say you're going to transfer. There's going to be exceptions and maybe a little bit of a problem. But for the most part, I think it's better for all the teams involved instead of having it year-round. I don't know. And then you take it on a case-by-case basis. And you have a De- Jerome DeRosier situation where some people are allowed to have an extra year if they came from the Ivy League because they didn't play that year, but he's not allowed to have it. I, but, I think you get into a dangerous situation. I think the NCAA did this whole transfer portal thing without thinking it through, without having any kind of vision about what it's going to look like. So now you have, because of the transfer portal, which leads to nils and all the illegal stuff going on with nils which leads to conference uh re- realignment and all of that it's just it, it's it, it's just the start of a big mess and now they're trying to reel it in uh, i think it's too little too late 
I think what we're talking about with DeRozier, of course, is mainly due to COVID. So I think that's something that hopefully will never happen again. And I was thinking about the NIL. But but aren't there other people who played in Ivy League schools who were given an extra year because they didn't Ivy League didn't play because of COVID? You should have had that year back because your league didn't play. So you couldn't have played. Sure. But that's not I don't think that occurrence will ever happen again. So that's that's a rare, yeah, but, rare exception. But that's just, I'm just one off the top of my head. There's yeah, a yeah. lot of case by case bases that seem very, very unfair. We've talked about them. True, that's true. You're right. I mean, parents sick, or they won't let them transfer. That I, I think that's really bad. But one thing about the NILs and conference realignment, I was thinking about this because you know we talked about Elaine Kiffin and him saying there should be a cap on NILs and that coaches should be involved in all that. What I think is. People are complaining. Dabo Sweeney's complained about the NILs, and you have coaches saying it's really bad and it's opened up a can of worms and, you know, maybe buying players and all that. Okay, so coaches are saying that. Some of the schools are saying that. But because these players all of a sudden are getting ridiculous amounts of money. The Tennessee quarterback, supposedly an $8 million NIL. But a lot of these schools have no problem just jumping ship like USC and UCLA and going to the Big Ten because they want more money. So it's okay for the schools to be realigned in another conference. Anytime they want, they'll pay the buyout fee or whatever because they're going to get more money, TV revenue and all that. That's fine. But if a student athlete is going to get money for the NIL, then these schools are complaining. It doesn't work both ways. It shouldn't work both ways. And it's kind of hypocritical of some of these schools to complain about NIL when they'll jump at the first chance to get more money. And I, I just thinking about that yesterday. And I, 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 again, the NILs are great. I mean, some of the dollar amounts are surprising, and maybe there has to be certain regulations. But right now, I mean, I think some of the schools are—I don't want to say jealous, but they're bothered by these student athletes making the money that is rightfully theirs. A, and they should be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. But again, if a school can just jump, and you know, like USC, UCLA, Texas, Oklahoma, we'll see who's next. That's okay. Notre Dame, and I brought this up briefly the other day, Notre Dame, according to reports, gets $21 million a year from NBC. And there's rumors that they might join the Big Ten or the Big Ten wants them. Supposedly, according to the report, Notre Dame told NBC, if you want us to remain independent and stay on your network, we want $75 million a year. That's $54 million a year more. That's fine. You know, they, they're going to take all the money, and I'm just using them as one example. But if a student athlete gets a million dollars as an NIL, then you have people in college complaining about it, the people that profit off of things like TV contracts right. and realigning to another conference. What you're getting is – I think what you're getting at is that um, everything is, is shifting now, right, since it's all about money. And you'll see that the Big 12 just hired their commissioner, and his, his background really isn't sports, it's marketing. Right. So your athletic directors have to be, you know, the best marketers out there. What it's going to evolve into after this is your athletic director is has to be an expert on NILs. I know they don't they're not supposed to come from the schools. He's got to have NILs. He's got to have contacts with people who give NILs under the table. Right. Without anyone. He's got to be a guy that's an expert in uh, negotiating uh contract uh excuse me the the conference realignment maybe that's more of a president's idea but i mean you have to come up with ways to make your program attractive so that you don't get left behind ever in this ever-changing conference realignment situation and then finally you have to be 
and not just coaches, athletic directors need to be transfer portal experts, relationship experts. Recruiting used to be that you would recruit a guy from a JC or a high school. Once he's on your team, he's on your team. You have to be a guy, an athletic director and coach, for that part matter. Once you get the guy in, you have to re-recruit him every single year so that he stays on your team. <laughs> you can't have a Todd Graham telling people that they're worthless. You can't have uh, Urban Meyer go up and kick a player in the leg, right? You can't yeah. do that kind of stuff because you have to be able to keep these, know how to keep these guys on your team. And you're going to do that with money and NILs and great treatment and haircuts whenever they want it and steak and lobster dinners at midnight if that's what the players want. And you say it's not ruining college athletics? Bye-bye. And it's everything you said I agree with. So it's okay for the colleges to not feel like they, they don't want to be left behind. They have to make sure they pay attention to conference realignment because it's money, money, money. You're totally right, and I agree. So why is it not right for the players to be in the exact same position? You don't want to be left behind. If you can get $8 million at Tennessee as opposed to 500000 oh, at Wyoming, I'm the, going to Tennessee. There's nothing wrong right, with that then. Right. Well, the coaches don't have a problem with it. The coaches Some do. Are some do. Dabble Sweeney does. Yeah, he's, because he's a, the have-nots. I mean, he feels like he's a have-not, okay? But Dabo Sweeney is a have. He's one of the haves, just like Alabama and Nick Saban admit, hey, we're one of the haves. That's a good thing. Dabo Sweeney just doesn't get as much as – it's like Nick Saban accusing Jimbo Fisher of buying players. That's what he came out and said. That's what they're upset about. They're not upset about players making money. They're saying, hey, all these other guys are uh, uh, getting these players to play illegally. That's what Dabo's thinking. Dabo's thinking I'm getting left behind because you guys are, you guys are, uh, you know, you guys are paying your players. But even Lane Kiffin talked about the salary cap, but he's not a have necessarily. He's not. He's he's a have not. Right, and he's complained a little bit about that the coaches should be involved and there should be a cap on it so people aren't just giving whatever they want. And again, it just it does cause problems. But I mean, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be where the coaches are saying this, and their schools are making money by jumping conferences. Look, it's it's the it, it's the thing that we talked about yesterday, where this is a situation here that college football is is headed down. This is the road they're headed down, because, and I can't remember who said this yesterday, but if you could, if you could, if you went up to an NFL player and said, hey, how would you like to have no salary cap? You're not under contract. You can go to whatever team you want to play and then transfer to another team if it doesn't work out. You can play for whoever you want for any amount of money that you want that someone will give you. Boy, the NFL players would jump at that. But that's where you are at college football. That's where you are at college football right now because you can make as much money as you want, you can play for whoever you want. You're not, you're not, you know, because of the transfer portal. It's crazy. They have more freedom in college sports now than you did for than, than you do in any of the pro sports. That's what's crazy about this. And I don't think, and I'm guessing, that's not a good thing for college athletics. We got to take a break. We got to get a traffic update, and we'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. 
Chris here with the animals on the Bobby Current Show on ESPN Honolulu, and this is going to be a treat. We're going to go down memory lane once again, and with uh, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that we had a great, one of the best ever to wear University of Hawaii basketball uniform, number one, back-to-back NCAA tournament, uh, WAC Player of the Year, MVP of the WAC tournament, you name it, honorable mention All-American, as we are joined now all the way from Spain with number one, Pedro Savovich. Savo, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you calling from Spain. Gary, man, it's been a – it sounds terrible. It's been decades, huh? <laughs> I know it has been a while. I think the last time I saw you was when you were finishing your rookie year with the Denver Nuggets and you visited Oahu. We got the hookup then, and uh, that was great. We'll talk about the NBA experience in a minute. I'm curious. I've never asked you this question. How did you go from Yugoslavia to University of Alabama, Birmingham, to the University of Hawaii? How did that process work? Wow, wow. Well, uh, uh, first of all, thank you for for a call. Thanks for remembering me. Uh, So, you know, the Hawaii, Hawaiian people, state of Hawaii, UH, has just been always uh, in my heart forever, really. And uh, even my kids now, they're like, when are you going to go? When are you going to go? So every time last two or three years we we tried to go, it was like COVID, there was a crisis, it was like work, so we couldn't make it. But uh, I appreciate the call, man. It's uh, so how 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 I got it? Well, I I, I played in um, I played in a, a small coastal town in Kachinovi in the beginning of uh, my career in 1991. I started actually as a 15 year old, uh, and then at 93 I ended up being in the first division highest tire of uh, then ex Yugoslavian uh, league with uh, Stoy. If you remember Peja Stojakovic, uh, Peja sure. Drobniak, Sonic. Uh, uh, so. Rebracha was there from the 76ers, uh, and many other players. And, uh, you know, some of them, they left the country because of the war. I, I stick to it. So in 96, I, you know, after three or four years playing there, I decided, you know, it's time for, uh, you know, the, the hardships where, you know, you can imagine the war times and everything. So I decided, you know, to pursue the career in, uh, in uh, studying in university and playing, you know, and combine those two things. So I went to Alabama. In Alabama, you know, it didn't get any playing time. I said, listen, I, it's time to change the, the, the air. So I went to Los Angeles, been there for uh, for a few months. And then one of the one of the one of the midnight uh, scrimmage games uh, in the camps that I played that I, I worked for Dana Pump, the Pump brothers. Um, uh, one of the coaches from Hawaii at the time, uh, Wheeler was there, Bob Nash and uh, and. Uh, Coach Wallace, you know, they, they caught the caught eye, the guy, you know, the blonde guy, young guy, you know, playing up and down, blasting the floor. So they asked if I'm going to be the Hawaii, would like to visit Hawaii. I visited Hawaii, and that was it. I stayed there for four and a half years, and everything else is, as you know, uh, just a great memory that I have and uh, close to my heart. It's been an amazing ride those four years in Hawaii. Yeah, UAB's loss was Hawaii's game, that is for sure. You know, Savo, you mentioned Riley Wallace. What memories do you have about him on and off the court? I mean, unbelievable, uh, uh, first of all, person, great professional psychologist. Uh, He was capable of uh, getting the best out of us uh, kids at the time, young men. Uh, And I think the best, the biggest virtue from him was that he prepared us for for life after that, after the college. I mean, everybody uh, that actually played for that team uh, those four years, we are still in contact. Uh, uh, even if I, Johnny White, if I talk to him once a year or two times a year, uh, we're still in touch after 20 years. You know, it's pretty amazing. Uh, 
you know, with, and we are all in contact. And I remember in, uh, during the COVID times, we all got together, like 12, 13, 15 of us on a Facebook, on a Zoom call and, you know, with the, with the wine in one hand, just talking for a couple of hours. Uh, we lost a few of those people uh, on the road. Uh, McIntyre, unfortunately, we lost him, uh, as well as Maquette. And, I mean, we, we all, he managed to have this, this group of people to become a good man. And uh, majority, if not everyone, a single one of us, uh, even if it's not a sports career, we had managed to have a, a, you know, manageable lives and enjoy life fully. Well, really? that is great. We're talking with former Rainbow Warrior, Pedro Savovich Here are the animals on the Bobby Current Show on ESPN Honolulu. I mean, the memories of you guys going to back-to-back NCAA tournaments in 01 and 02, beating Tulsa on the road both years. What was that run like with you? You guys just seemed almost unbeatable those two years. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, it was really amazing. I mean, uh, uh, all that run, those last two years that I played there for 2001, 2002, 2002, 2001, 2002, I mean, I think it was 2001, 2002, we were 17 and 14, and then the next year, 27-6, um, you know, uh, losing to Xavier, which we were up, if you remember, in a halftime, yeah. it was like, it was done, that's it, that's the one, you're going to go for it. Then, unfortunately, on the second half, you know, we, we just didn't have any gasoline left or we just made some decisions. Uh, but it was it was pretty amazing, and uh, we, we enjoyed it. We really enjoyed it. I remember fans were just enjoying it. A great group of guys, great professionals, even on that level as uh, amateurs, but I would call them professionals, dedicated to uh, to the Hawaiian coast. I mean, we were, like, we felt like we we had a duty of, 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 of taking that name of University of Hawaii uh, to the mainland, just showing, you know, showing them a Hawaiian style. Uh, and I think that then, you know, and after that, uh, there was another season, it was a great season when the, when the Riley went to NIT in 2003, 2004. Uh, and after that, you know, when, uh, when Gibb uh, took it over and, and, you know, the 2015-16, which was a huge uh, historical season, I think they had one game they won more than we did. So it was kind of like, oh, my God, you know, they had a better <laughs> team than we have. But, yeah, well, I've been following very closely ever since uh, everything that's going on in Hawaii. And uh, proud to be there. And we, we, we had lots of fun. Lots of, it was a really joy. And then after, after that playing in Europe, uh, we put some players that were recognized from, uh, from Hawaii. It was pretty amazing, actually. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a great, great place, great times. I mean, we all the players with, uh, with Carl English, Chaim. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and Phil Martin was there, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and Lance, and Joshua, Milos, Chaim, Mark, I mean, Daugas. You know, it's pretty amazing that we, I know Paul, I mean, Paul then helped me uh, get in touch with, uh, which is going to be become my uh, future partner in the business in London many years later. Um, with, uh, with Tony Afton, you know, with, uh, I mean, we, we just, it was uh, pretty amazing. I mean, uh, just, great experience, and great life experience, I would say. I mentioned that you played with Denver in the NBA for that year, then you went to Europe, played a little bit, and then after that you were president of a league, of a team in Spain. What were those experiences like, and what are you doing these days? Yeah, um, well, what I did is when I retired, when I played for one year, I was the champion of, uh, of um, 
the Belgium league. Then I supposed to go back to New York Knicks at the time uh, when I got injured. So I, I didn't go, but then I signed a contract in Spain, which is the top tier. The World League after the NBA, that's the best league in the world. I played there very successfully for five years, just dragging some injuries. And then at the age of 32, I retired. But I stayed in the club. I, uh, I finished my additional executive uh, education. I finished my executive leadership sports management as well. Uh, for three years, I was uh, working in marketing. Then I became the president and the chief executive officer, which I held for like six, seven years. Uh, and during my tenure, I mean, we even managed to play Philadelphia 76ers, one of the few teams, European teams, that can manage that. We organized the games in Bilbao in 2011. We were 2013, second in Spain, right after Football Club Barcelona. You know that one. Uh, probably rings the bell. Uh, played, you know, been second in Europe a couple of times. Uh, and then, you know, I got, I wanted to change something, went to London, uh, we created a couple of companies uh, there, went to entrepreneurship, and then I got a call from another team uh, from Spain to be a CEO, very successful two years, and they called me back to be the CEO of Bilbao Basket again, restructuring the team, very successful, and after that, you know, just uh, 10 months now, just resting a little, to be honest with you. <laughs> got into mm -hmm. finance and, uh, and staying away from uh, from basketball for now, but yeah, by my my... My interest was always on the management side, ever since I crossed the NBA team, just how the teams function, how the organization functions, how ticketing functions, sponsorships, money raising. Uh, and all of that, you know, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride. It's been a great run. I wish we had more time. We are up against the clock, Pedrog. But thank you so much for joining. Yeah. We'll have to do it again sometime and continue the stories and some great memories for oh, the Hawaii yeah. fans. Of so, course, of course, of course, Gary. Of all right. Course. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck. Good luck, everybody. Love you guys. Aloha. All right. Thank you, Pedrock. That was Pedrock Savovich joining us here with the animals on ESPN Honolulu and the Bobby Curran Show, calling from Spain, and we'll try to do it again another time and catch up as well. Very good. And uh, speaking of uh, Rainbow Warrior basketball, they got a camp coming up if you uh, go to the website, uh, August 2nd to 4th, I believe, with the Ron Gannat and his guys. Also, the Rainbow Warrior baseball youth skills camp is going on through August 4th as well. They got a bunch of four-day camps. It's open to boys and girls entering kindergarten through eighth grade. And, again, register. Go to hawaiiathletics.com and click on the camps button. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. That was nice going down memory lane. I, we should make that a, a normal thing that we do uh, a few times a week. Yesterday we, we had a nice conversation with Leonard Peters who got rid of his hair. Did not get rid of his muscles, but got rid of his hair. Now we're talking to Savo, who's all the way in Spain, and who is uh, fortunate enough to right now be doing nothing. Yeah, that's the life. <laughs> that's, yeah. All right, so that's going to do it for us on this Aloha Friday. Thank you for listening. Coming up at 12 noon. Let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, you are going to hear the velvety voices of Jordan Helle and Keegan Ota. Have a great weekend. This is ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM.